0: is brought to you by Combat Flip-Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip-Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces. Are we certain now? Mm-hmm.
1: This podcast isn't about me, it's about Donnie.
0: I don't care. Shit. All
1: right, so first two nights of ayahuasca, not fun, not learning shit, painful as fuck, completely just overwhelming. So night three, uh, real positive mental attitude going into it. I talked to the shaman um, and really kind of hammered some shit out, and I felt like I had a good grasp on what I wanted to get out of night three. So... (laughs) So, night three comes around, take our dose, and her and I are separated by one mat within the uh, yurt. Brian Bishop. Yep. Brian Bishop was in the middle. So, I'm sitting over there, and I I end up having the most fucking insane, cathartic, and informative vision, and being spoken to by Mother Ayahuasca. And I'm just sitting there in, like, a very meditative pose, sitting up, legs crossed, and I'm just, like, crying happy tears. And it's fucking amazing. And I got everything that I wanted out of that particular moment, and it was great. And then she looks at me, and she smiles, and she fades away into this, like, lightning storm of clouds and fog. And it was pretty much her telling me, like, buckle up, bitch. Like, here you go. And I fucking strapped on SpaceX and got sent to Jupiter. Like, it was insane. And so, the shaman's in there doing his whole vibrato, like, indigenous singing. And I'm, like, teeth chattering, dude. Whoa. Like, teeth chattering. Like, I'm licking a battery. And I'm just, like, going. He was. And you should have heard it. I can't take it anymore. And I'm, like, And then he finally stops and he goes to call up another person that was in our circle. And I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of here. And so, like, I stand up and I'm, like, stumbling around. And then, like, the door's there, but then the door's over there. And then it goes over here. And I'm like, ah, shit. So I'm finally making my way towards the door. And I get outside. And I'm like, oh, like, fresh air. And I'm like, okay, 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 dude. Like, you got this. I was still in such a good, happy state that, like, I had a good positive mental attitude. I'm just doing laps in this grass, trying to like, as soon as I stopped, I got more fucked up again. So I'm doing laps in this grass, just trying to hold on and not like, like take off because the stimulation, the visuals, the feeling is so intense and I'm outside for a good couple hours. And, uh, so I'm out there just pacing in the grass and all of a sudden I see this troll Kelsey come over <laughs> that's dressed like fucking Casper and comes walking over with like her KKK like hood on and she like walks up and like looks straight up at me because she's like all of like four, eight,
0: five foot.
1: Okay. I, I overestimated the last time. This time's an underestimate. I know. And she looks at me and she's like, take your hood off. It's freaking me out. I'm like, fuck you. You're freaking me out. (laughs) So she's like, was that you in there? And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So the shaman always asks, usually a little bit into the ceremony, like, would anyone like seconds? So the first night and second night, I'm like, yes, please. Like, let's go. Third night, hard pass. Well, I wasn't there. And Kelsey comes in, and apparently when the shaman asked if anyone liked seconds, Bishop whispers to me in my spiritual world, and he's like, hey, man, like, you want to go? am like, all set. And so she comes out and tells me this, and she's like, wait, you didn't say that? And I was like, no. She's like, that was your voice. And I was like, nope, but I'm fucking all set. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm out here. I'm probably nine bottles of water deep, just like, and I've done nine <laughs> laps in, like, 10 square feet just like okay okay you got this you got this oh cool pretty crass all right oh shit and like looking up all over the place so her and I are just rolling outside dying laughing and she's like okay but like she like come in I'm Like, fuck you I'm not going back in that thing right now like I, I'm good all set and so that's how, the, that's how the story originated but way funnier when you have 50 milliliters of ayahuasca in your system
0: It was good because you, I had never seen somebody, you were downing water. You were downing water. It was boom, next, boom. You're walking up to the yurt. You're just rustling in the plastic like a rack.
2: Everything's so loud then, too.
0: Everything, because everything, you can hear everything, you can hear everyone breathing. And I just hear you, and all I hear, I, I swear to God, it was like you were standing right beside me, and it was the deepest voice, all set. Like just, oh, like you couldn't. You couldn't be more certain, and I was so concerned because it wasn't just you outside wandering in the abyss. Oh no! Oh no! There was some. There were some people on some rides. What's his face was on the uh, picnic table. Oh, Sam. poor Sam.
1: Then the guy pissed in the shower, and then another guy pissed or took his shit in the woods. Like
0: there was some stuff.
1: People got their shit pushed in that night, and I got my shit pushed in every night. But like that night, it was kind of fun because misery loves company.
0: Yeah. No, it does. You did you, you handled it like a champion. I was very um I was very proud to watch.
1: Well, thanks for holding my hand during the whole process.
0: It was a good time. <laughs> it was a solid time. It was one of those times. It was like, we're gonna group tomorrow. I'm like, nope, I'm not. I'm not doing that tomorrow. That's that was that was all too much. You all heard and all saw what went through me and out of me. I'm like, Nope. I'm good. All set. All set. All set. So that was a good experience. But Donnie, hi.
3: I have so many questions, by the way. I'm excited.
0: Okay. Okay. Start with your questions. So many.
3: Did you two know each other before the event? No. And were you there for an experience for yourself, or were you a shaman?
0: No, I'm not a shaman. I went there for myself. Okay. Mm.
3: And could you hear... I don't know much about ayahuasca. Okay. At all. Okay. But uh, could you hear um, him, like, chattering? Like, was he... As he had convulsions, or um, was it, was it like seizure-ish behavior?
0: No, not at all. <clears throat> no, a lot of the times. I mean, for me, at least in my personal experience, because it's hard. It's really hard because you can't see anything. It's pitch black in there, right? Mm-hmm. It's you can't see anything. I mean, oh, you're seeing some shit. You're seeing all. You're seeing everything. You see, everything. You see yeah. everything, but it's pitch black in there when those lights go down. You're not seeing it, but you can feel it. You can feel. When someone's struggling, there's rustling. They're on your bed. That you can you can kind of hear it. You can hear people's moans and little movements and coughs and twitches. And you can hear my clawing at the ground with my nails. Like yeah. It's...
3: So you hear like someone's in pain. Yeah. You can oh, hear. everything is so loud in there. It's
0: it's it's it's, excru- it's excruciating. And and here's the thing about vet groups. And I mean I've been very I'm early on into the ayahuasca journey. Not so much. In, I've dabbled in psil- psilocybin before. I microdosed that for. As an antidepressant, it's a it's a fantastic way to move past SSRIs in a more natural capacity. Obviously, there's a propensity depending on the brain. You want to be careful with things like that. But I do think that psilocybin is a really useful tool. That being said, ayahuasca is still fairly new to me. In that my first experience sitting with it was in January, as well with heroic hearts, and then I sat with it again. Um, with this half of us were the same group that we had sat with before, and. Um, a vet group is really heavy, so like the shaman had had said this to us before. We were the first vet group they had done in January, and it was like a a go fast team. It was like a you tier one boys, and then me.
3: Oh, really?
0: <laughs> it was a. There was some guys were still active. Um, one of the guys was going deploying. E nine. Say again.
3: E nine. Oh, special bro. Forces. There
0: was. These were all special forces bros.
3: I can imagine what that shaman was thinking as he's watching that's a sketch oh we were (laughs) watching a bunch of fucking sf combat vets go through their Dude, and the funny
1: (laughs) thing is too like when you're in there like it's a very sincere and like emotional place and then me and and this guy bishop we hear this other person across the way and they're just yakking and blowing chunks and bishop's like suck it the fuck up let's go because like he wasn't feeling it yet but like the level of humor that was At the most awkward time, but like delivered the best, like sting was, was very there. Um,
0: So yeah, no, you, uh, you handle it like a champ. But the thing is, yeah, these guys aren't, these people don't fuck around. So here's the thing. Vet groups are heavy. We all pack a lot. We all pack a lot of, a lot of bullshit. And he, he took it on the chin and, and our shaman, we were really lucky. Obviously I won't say any names, but it's a husband and a wife and they're machines. And she is, she's the heavy lifter of that group. She's vicious. She will fuck your world up. She hit me so hard that last ceremony. I didn't get to sit with her the first, the first weekend I was there. And I wanted to sit with her. I felt like I needed to. And they're like, no, there's a reason. He does what he does. He does the cleaning. He does the dirty work. She comes in and she puts everything back together. And I only experienced him that weekend. And it, it, I fucking, you think I had a rough night that Saturday? Ho, oh, sir, sir, I tell you. You missed the Saturday before. I was in the fetal position. That's what, remember with Bishop, the, the little comment on Instagram today about the SOG? Yeah. Did you, did you catch on? I wasn't the little bitch in the fetal position, hanging under the space belt. Like, he, this, yeah.
1: Oh, I fully knew where you stood. Yeah. So, to, to give yeah. Donnie a little bit of context, like, you go and you sit in this 360-degree circle, earth, right? And you're, everyone has their <laughs> own individual mattress and, like, all that stuff. So...
0: You're all kind of, like, spokes in a wheel,
1: so once you ingest the medicine and everyone goes in their circle, then the shaman starts singing, right? So the husband and wife couples start kind of trading off doing this, this very, ah, uh, fuck, what do you call it? Well, it's, it's just very it's native. Peruvian, it's yeah. a Peruvian.
0: It's, it's okay. So the Shipibo tribe, the Shipibo tribe, it's, it's their it's the music of the Shipibo tribe. So these people were trained by, you know, one of the first and main uh, tribes from Peru with this medicine and it's the same traditional music and they sing it. And for once you take the medicine, everyone sits in silence for approximately 45 minutes before the medicine. Really, really, how does she say it? Um, the the female shaman she's like, has the medicine opened up for you? Hmm. Has like, has it, has it come to you yet? Has she shown herself to you or has she You're starting to feel anything?
3: And this is all in the dark and this is
0: all in the pitch black. Right. And so you feel everything and you can tell There's right. It seems like right before you really tell, can tell everyone's in it. You just kind of hear like a rustling, and you kind of hear like,
2: <clears throat> yeah,
0: because that's when you're like, oh, that's when the demons are here. That's when the door has been opened, and we're we're going to war, and yeah. everybody's about to fuck hard.
1: Instead of like racking bolts, you just hear, yeah, and you, people you just start, start purging, <laughs> and you're like. Oh, you're in it.
0: It's the huh. you're
1: in it. It's wow. the, huh. And they're blowing chunks, dude. Blowing chunks for what? It's called purging, but for whatever reason, I didn't purge. Kelsey purges a lot, but I didn't. I didn't purge. I got the demons, bro. And and so they'll call you up individually, the shamans, in order to go up and sit in front of them, or they'll come to you, depending on your. There your was level.
0: a lot of coming to you situations at our.
1: Yeah. And they sit down in front of you, and they sing to you, and they ask you, what, what do you want to handle, right? Because you set your intentions going into it. If your intentions is sex addiction, uh, drug addiction, you know, alcoholism, like any number of things, you kind of set your intentions before you go into it. And so depending on how you feel that night, you, you let the shaman know, like I, would, like, I feel a lot of pain, or I feel sad, or I feel angry. And then he will specifically, like, sing a certain song that will help cleanse you. Now, I'm not going to lie. At first, like, I thought this was complete fucking whimsical bullshit. Nah. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> nope. I, I, I gained a massive level of respect for what they do and for that in its entirety. Um, and And it was huge. But when they sing to you and you're in, like, when you're in it, Dude, I can't even begin to explain how just stimulating and overwhelming it is. Like the visuals and the body, I'm like, I mean, I was like taking my clothes off because I felt like my shirt was restrictive. Like it was, it was a thing.
0: You don't wear a bra. It's like, if if anything's tight on you, you feel like you need to be able to deep breath through things. And you you feel, if you feel any sort of, (laughs) you're just, it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's trapping. And so. So you've never dabbled in psychedelics in terms of ayahuasca, but what what have you dabbled in? Mushrooms. Just psilocybin. Yes. Okay. Are you talking microdosing? Are you talking hero doses on a regular basis? Like what are we looking at here? Uh. <laughs> tell me. Tell me all your deep dark
2: secrets. Tell me.
3: Um, mostly microdosing. Okay. Almost every weekend, since um COVID started. Okay. And. Um there have been a few instances when I've taken probably around three grams, but I don't know that I've ever done a hero dose. Um I've I've never I've never done enough to make me um you know, like feel like I was somewhere different and have crazy visuals, at least with my eyes open. The most the most I remember my my vision changing is I remember being in this position actually at um at Petco Park at this one one of the day Mav things. And I remember looking down here and I saw like like my my hair and skin was moving a little bit. And like but that's it. That's the the most visual I have ever experienced. Um and uh I try to I use it both therapeutically and recreationally. So I'll do it just when I wanna have a good time. Okay. Um and Then I'll do it when I know that I need to think deeply about something. If something's on my soul or my spirit and I'm like, I need to fucking, I need to figure this out. Then I'll take it and I'll focus on that thing for a couple hours.
0: How long have you been using them for total? It's like just the beginning of COVID, but did you dabble in them before? No. Not at all? Nope. Okay. So that brings me back to where I was going to start. We just kind of went into it. but So you were an athlete before.
3: Uh, I still am.
0: Well, but when I say before, let me back that up. (laughs) You're an athlete before you're doing what you're doing now full time. Like you, you're, you're not a triathlete full time. You're not an Ironman guy full time anymore. You're, you're doing other things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when I get where I'm going here, so when did you start doing Ironman?
3: When I was 23 and I stopped at 24.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. What, what, what's that about?
3: Um, I just needed. Uh, I I always need like very intense athletic goals to put ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and before I joined the Marine Corps, it was triathlons. It was endurance because I always I always hated endurance. I was always a sprinter. I was a basketball player. Okay. I'm basketball and football, but I was I was better at basketball. And um, and so I enjoyed you know sprinting and jumping and agility and whatnot. I hated distance, and I like to make myself do what I hate sometimes, at least I used to. I don't anymore. Now I make myself do what I love. But back then, I would make myself do what I hated and what I feared. And um, so I'm like, okay, I need to to push myself. And plus, I knew that I was joining the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, My dream was always to join the Marine Corps, but I couldn't join because I had asthma and because I had dislocating shoulders. So I had to get those things fixed and then do a little bit of lying to the U.S. government in order to join. And, and achieve that dream. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, the next phase of my life is going to be the military. And I need good endurance. So I'm going to get into endurance stuff. And it just started out with, you know, like 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, all the while doing sprint triathlons and uh, mountain bike triathlons, exterras. Mm-hmm. Mountain bike tries were my favorite. And then um, I watched a documentary, actually, on the Ironman. One time, I was sitting on a couch, just as as ugly as this. (laughs) This Um,
0: beautiful tan (laughs) beast. Back in she's gorgeous.
3: I was probably 2000. It's 2008, and I had thought I'm like, no, I don't want to do the Ironman because like that distance. I don't love biking and running and swimming enough to put in the hours to actually achieve that goal.
2: Okay,
3: I want and I have to enjoy the process to some degree. I liked the, the process of, of mountain bike tries, but I don't like regular cycling. So anyways, I, had, I decided I'm not doing an Ironman. Then I watched this documentary, and um, it started telling the story of this guy who came, um, was diagnosed at some point. I, I want to say it was MS. It might have been something else. And then he's a completely healthy guy for his entire life. And then all of a sudden he gets told, you're not going to be able to walk in like less than two years. You might not live for more than three to five. Solid. So he says, okay, well, I, I, I better use my body while I have it. I know my body is going to be withering away until I die very soon. So I'm going to use my body to the best of my ability. I'm going to do an Iron Man. And so this guy does it. And it shows his journey of training for the Iron Man and then doing it. And then at the end of the episode, no, I'm sorry, as he is... Um, is doing his interviews for this thing. He's already in a wheelchair. He already lost the ability to walk. And then at the end of it, they fucking punched me in the face and said, in loving memory of him, between the time that they filmed it and it aired, he died.
0: Oh, jeez. so I'm
3: bawling as I'm watching that. And, um, and I'm like, okay, guess I gotta do an Iron Man. I signed well- up the next day.
0: 'Cause how can you not at that I mean at that yeah. point you, you have to. Yeah. It's like obligatory.
3: That's it. And yeah. so I just wanted to do it as a challenge to myself mm-hmm. and then join the Marines and then have another challenge.
0: Which one did you do?
3: Uh Sherborne, England.
0: Oh, so you really went for it? Yeah. You're like, fuck the States, fuck Hawaii and Kona.
3: Well no, I was I wanted to qualify for Kona. I'm like, if I'm oh, gonna do it,
0: you're gonna go there and I'm do it. I to
3: try and qualify okay. for yeah. the championships. I know. But in the process, that's, that was my last summer before I joined the Marines. I learned to surf for the first time that summer. And after that, when I would go on... I did all my, my bike rides up the coast. I would go mm-hmm. 30 miles as hard as I could until my legs started cramping. And then I would turn around and come home. I never biked more than 60 miles. Really? <laughs> and the Ironman is 112. But I just figured, I'll just fucking... I'll just... Every time I... I'll go 60 miles. And I did it every weekend... And I'm going to go to cramping at mile 30. And then when I get to the Ironman, I'll just take it easy. And I think I'll do it.
2: <laughs> you Just think your way
3: through that one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I ended up doing. Kay. But in the process of biking along the coast, I'm looking at the ocean. and I'm just like, I, surfing looks like so much more fun than <laughs> fucking biking. This is. Excuse fucking.
0: me. No, no.
1: Ugh.
0: You don't get to talk shit about road biking to me.
1: You don't get to talk shit about surfing. You live in Vancouver.
0: I love surfing. I think surfing's fucking fantastic. I've been to Tofino. I've given that shit a run. I've tossed myself in Hawaii before. I'm not good at it.
1: You're easy to toss.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not good at it, but I give it a hard go. And I'll go until I almost drown and be like, well, that's concerning. I probably didn't pop up the way I should. I should probably stop at this point. There's situations (laughs) where you just need to learn this is the limit. There's a line. But biking, how dare you? Sorry. Sacrilegious. In my eyes. Oh, God. But you did it. I did it. Okay. So you, you checked that box. Yeah. Did you do a tattoo? Everybody does the tattoo. Oh, yeah. Oh, you did it? Yeah. Full send? Oh, yeah. Oh, I like it. I'm going to need to get a picture of that. Ta-da! Oh, he did it right on the calf, too. He's like, I'm never riding a road bike again. I'm going to put it right where
3: I'll we'll never <laughs> no. see it anymore. I love, I love... Sorry. That I was love... ruthless. Come it's... on. <laughs> and... I love running in front of, like, runners oh. or bikers and shit. Like They you think know. they're all fit and shit, and I come get in front of him with I my, hate my you, big people. calf and my fucking Iron Man thing. Just like, flexing. What?
2: Yeah, Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah,
0: I, Donnie O'Malley, United <laughs> States Marine. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. Now, that's not easy to do. That's not an easy feat. Um, so you joined the Marines a little bit later than most, though, hey?
3: Yeah, I was 25.
0: So was that by design?
3: Um, well, no. I would have gone in right after 9-11. Okay. Um but my dad talked me out of it. Um
0: Military family?
3: Yeah. Okay. He was a Marine infantryman. Okay. And um he was a doctor at um he was the director of medical services at Bobo Hospital. Okay. Um and so you know, his hospital is full of banged up Marines. Oh. And I can yeah. I've, I remember seeing the fear in my dad's face. As me, my brother, and one of my best friends, who's like a brother, um, we went to the recruiter's office right after 9 11. My dad was so, he was on the verge of tears, and this dude, this man does not cry easily. And um, he He was just like, boys, listen to me. I understand what you're feeling right now. Um, And I don't remember the whole thing, but I remember his final point was look, if war is what you want, I Just finish your degree and the war will still be here. I promise you the war will still be here. And if you still want war, then go right ahead. And that's what I did. What? I finished my degree. And then I couldn't go in right after because of the asthma and my shoulder dislocations. So I had to, um, I had to have surgery on both my shoulders. But I needed health coverage to afford the surgery. So I had to work full-time for a year to get full-time health coverage and then get the surgery, and then go in. And that was, the, that was why there was a gap in between college and then finally joining.
0: Okay, that makes a little more sense. Because I'm always curious about that. Most of the time, anytime I talk to Marines, the resounding, they showed up at my high school. Oh, you know what my favorite one is? I just talked to Riley Compton, and she goes, yeah, like, they just call, like, people call people's parents. And be like, your kid needs to join the Marines. That's like a thing. I didn't realize, like, the people show up at your guys' high schools down here, people go in your parking lots and, like, recruit yeah. young kids. And so it's 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 a little bit different for me to hear from somebody who has not really gone that path. They actively chose, made a decision, went to university, and thought it through and was still like, yeah, you know what? Those shoulders feel solid. Let's go put 150 pounds on it. Feels like the right choice.
3: And argue with my dad for years because he continued. He said, yeah, you'll have my blessing. No, he didn't. He kept saying, hey – he kept questioning me. Are you sure? He's like, look, you're, you know, before I joined, I, I was a personal trainer. I had this little business doing security, um, for um, fraternity sorority parties. Oh my god, that was so much fucking fun. <laughs> <laughs> there were, there was, because I was, I was fucking Van Wilder in college, by the way. I don't know that that's changed. It hasn't changed. Okay,
0: right. Okay, I'm glad we it, This that.
3: is my new frat house. It's such a I know, it's analogy. fantastic.
0: I mean, the mirrors, when you walk in, they really solidify the feel.
3: Yeah. And so, um, you're, you're going to love this. <laughs> um, okay, so... ah, oh, damn, I just lost my train of so thought. So,
0: basically, what you're telling me is, you decided Fuck. to leave the security that you were doing yes. of yeah. young women to go hang out with sweaty dudes.
3: Yes. Okay, I like yeah. this. I see I, where okay, this is this going. Is where I was, she has a point. This is where I was going. Yeah, what is... Are we getting picking up some gay vibes from this guy? There's some shit. <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: There's a, that couldn't have you? been a better time. <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly.
0: exactly.
3: So um, <laughs> I uh, I was at um, this one party at the Hotel del Coronado. It was a sorority date dance, and I still knew lots of people in the Greek system because I was a frat boy for five years. I was I was president twice. Solid five. I was fucking Van Wilder. I didn't want to f- finish. The only reason I, I finished in five instead of six is because my dad threatened my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I'm at this party at the Hotel Dell. It's a really nice date dance. And I've, I've hired a crew of like five other personal trainers because I was a personal trainer at 24 Hour Fitness in Point Loma. Mm. And um, I hired a bunch of my friends to be security with me and i'm fucking crushing vodka in the parking lot before we go into this job <laughs> and then at the event there's a handful of girls that i was talking to that i got a great vibe from i i end up dancing and <laughs> dancing with i i think one girl in the middle of the uh the dance floor um at some point in the night and i stopped doing security The DJ started calling me out. Hey, security guard, what are you doing on the dance floor, bro? Get out of here. He's literally calling me out, and I just ignore him. (laughs) And I continue, and I went back on the party buses back to San Diego State with the sorority.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. I I to
3: love doing shit like that. Oh, my God. That was my shit. (laughs) Okay. So, anyways, that was my life. And um, I also, I was, I was like a freelance teacher at charter schools. I just went to these people charter schools. People paid you to teach. Yeah. I was a teacher um, for, before I was a personal trainer. What subject? Um, PE. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. The only thing he's qualified to really nail. Yes. Physical fitness. He's got it.
3: Well, no. I also, I also taught biology and um, <laughs> fitness, nutrition, and health. Uh, but that was, that was that was it.
0: And people paid you to do that? Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. My, I had a single subject teaching credential. Wow. That's what I... Okay. Sorry, mis- America's Steve a teacher. little
0: bit different. Mm-hmm. You guys are odd ducks.
3: Yeah. You
0: just give it to anybody, huh? Anybody. Anybody. <laughs> anybody. <laughs> I wish there was a camera for that. No. Anybody. Yeah. yeah, well, that's a clip there. Well, that's good. I mean, listen, it's interesting learning a little bit about you because I have known about you for a little while. I had a situation where your name came up in the middle of a charity thing I was doing. I got to, uh, I was at a trade show and there was this charity called the Heart of a Veteran mm. and they knew of you or something. Anyway, long and short, they ended up getting us this vet to help. But that's when I started to kind of pay attention to who you were. And I, I, I started to get a little bit curious because, again, you didn't do it at of high school. It wasn't like a two year thing, a three year thing, and you kind of moved on. Like you kind of stuck with the whole Marine thing and you kind of rode through that.
3: I had a dream.
0: (laughs) Oh God, there's so much there. Oh, there's so much there. So you had a dream. What was the purpose? Like when you, when you decided you were done and you kind of took on the projects that you did and moved into a grunt life and the book and all that, what was the purpose for you behind all of that? Because I mean, you're, you're a high strung person who has clearly seen some shit and for most of the people that listen, they want to know how how high-functioning people who seem to have made it in this community handle that. Handle what? Really? Just all of it. Everything that you're doing, the weight of everything that you have, how do you handle that? Because like I said, you, you weren't like a one and done person. Lots marketing. of exercise. Yeah. See, that's what I'm... <laughs> see? You're getting it. There it is. That's how. Is that what you really... Is that really what the key is to you? Like... How you function?
3: Um, that's a huge part of it. <clears throat> but um, at this point, I have wired my brain to operate um, at very high speed and juggle lots of projects um, with a lot of variables with high stakes. So that is my norm. Mm-hmm. And... I st- I think I got my first training doing that actually my last year of college when my first semester of my last year I took 19 units while I was working and I had some role in the fraternity I don't remember what it was I wasn't the president my fifth year um but I still had some responsibility and um and then my last my second semester of my last year of college after my dad threatened my life and he said look boy uh I did not spend all of this money on you to take your fucking time and finish this shit in five years. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed enough. Um, You are not going to take more than five. He said, if you don't walk across that stage and get handed a diploma, he said, I don't want this shit of you walking and getting the diploma mailed to you a semester later. Fuck that. You are walking across the stage and getting handed a diploma or you're not coming around the family for years. (laughs) You are not fucking talking to me. And I was like, roger that. So I took 26 units my last semester of college.
2: Jesus.
3: While working. And that right there forced me, the fear of dad forced me to say, okay, it's do or die. I, I must do this. And I figured it out. That means I paid some people to do a lot of work for me.
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
3: And I took one two-unit two course that was taught by a friend of mine. And I knew he was going to give me an A, so I never even had to show up. And um, I, I researched all of the professors of the courses to make sure that I was getting the easiest professors. So that took an unbelievable amount of time actually planning my schedule, which, has in, which set me up for success for the rest of my life. Because there are so many variables to that equation. How do I achieve this goal and pass all these classes? I mean, I just pass. i gotta I gotta come out of here with the fucking 3.0 at least. So you know it' it was a lot of mental gymnastics that I did to set up my schedule so that my classes were not overlapping and I didn't get denied when I was in the system. as soon as as soon as San Diego State opens up, it's such an impacted school. That classes fill up like that. Right. And if you don't get in that class, you're fucked. And you got to wait a semester mm-hmm. or try and take that class at another school. And then that's a, that's a big cluster of fuck figuring that out. So, like, the stress was on. Right. So that right there was the, the, the first big test of my life that then became my life standard. And it took a lot of mental discipline to make that happen, juggling all of those things, piecing together this puzzle that would be the next three to four months of my life. And that's how I've lived my life ever since then. I envision what the next few months of my life are going to be like, put together all the pieces and all the variables, and then create the plan, and then execute that plan with some level of discipline.
0: So you had that Marine mentality well before you were actually a Marine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was just dad, though, you think?
3: I don't think that's a Marine mentality. That's a successful person mentality. Interesting. You walk around this neighborhood, no one is in the fucking Marine Corps, but all these people... Make a lot of money and have very successful lives because they have discipline. Is that what you chalk it up to? Yes, 100. percent It's all discipline. It's all. It, it's. It's not just the discipline to do the work, right? You know, you can. I used to dig ditches. <clears throat> I worked my ass off for fucking nine hours a day. I didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to develop a vision. Your vision needs to be in line with what is going to bring in the money. And bring in the success in the short, the mid, the long term, and then create a plan, get other people around you to help you execute your plan. You, you piece all these things. It's all the mind, right. right? So all the people who live in this neighborhood, their minds work at a fucking at a decent level, and um, and that's what I would chalk it up to. I don't give the, the Marine Corps credit for any of that fucking shit. This is it the the, the 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 being in the military, being a veteran? That, that's not, like, why anyone is successful. That's just, like... For me, it was just one adventure that I wanted to go on for a couple years.
0: I mean, that's a way to look at it. I would argue... I would argue that there, there's there's plenty of reasons why people in the military are... are there's, there's a lot of people that are successful, and it's because they were in the military. You can't deny that. There's... Look at the... Don't... Don't look at the community. Let's look logically.
3: But there are plenty of people who did incredible stuff in the military and then came out and did do nothing.
0: Absolutely. No, and that's and that's, I think... It's a different type of person though. It, it, some people don't want to be known for that. Some people don't want to be attached to that. Some people just want to be able to let go and move on from that. I think it depends on what you've done and who you've done it with and the weight that that carries also. I mean, whether or not somebody's done a whole bunch of cool shit, if, if it's not known or they don't want to talk about it, you know, you're not going to be able to use something like that. Some people don't want to be in this community afterwards. They want to let go of it. They just, it's heavy. Sometimes it's too heavy to hold on to. It, it weighs too much and they just have to shed it. I know people I served with that are British and they were some of the gnarliest dudes I've ever met in my entire life. And now I call them and they're like, "I, doing the potholes? I'm like, well, what the fuck? Like, I'm working on the roads. I'm like, do you like oh. that? They're like, yeah, I love it. I'm like, but you were like a platoon sergeant. Yeah, I love it.
1: That was the weird thing for me getting out because I wanted nothing to do with the community or the culture or any of it because my assimilation relied upon it. I had to figure out what to do here. And if I kept on sitting back in the Uncle Rico days, then... I'm going to stay in the fucking Uncle Rico days. Right. I need to figure out their thought process, the civilian thought process.
2: (laughs) Uncle Rico days? Dude,
1: (laughs) I I used to throw pigskin mile, And it's like, sure you fucking did. You know, now you can't see your dick. Like, Mm -hmm. Roger. And so I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't give a fuck about the gloating war stories or any of that. And that is part of the process. And it's interesting now for me to think that there's a lot of guys that I've served with That I mean, my best friend and one of my most successful snipers is now works for Chase Bank. My other one is now a barber and works in a salon with his wife. Both of them snipers and both of them with a fucking heavy proper kill count.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what makes it so damn good. This guy's just over here cutting your hair and he's like, I have taken souls.
1: Yeah. It's unbelievable, and like I go, back, like I go to Arizona and I go visit these guys, and I'm just like, well, I, I mean, who the fuck am I, right? I'm a photographer. Yeah, you an artist. Yeah, mm. <laughs> but like, dude, fuck that. You know, like, you can't pigeonhole us. I will say, yeah. Marines might be slightly different as mm-hmm. far as my my prior experiences with contracting and just being around the Marine Corps, but a large majority of of Army veterans are just Spanning the gamut of of left and right, but then you got the guy that's working at you know it's four fucking piggly wiggly, you know, living by the coal mine in fucking Pennsylvania, and it's like they're okay with that, but they also don't know any better. I thought I was going to carry a gun my entire life. Thank God I don't. You know, and and it's just exploring other avenues and and trying to fucking figure it out. Mm. But it ain't fun trying to figure it out.
0: No, it's a living hell. Mm. I think. I think there's so many, I think so many people want to be successful after the military. I think they don't know how, Mm. and I think we're finally starting to realize, I mean, I had this conversation before, I had it, um, I was talking with the girls about this on the episode earlier, and it's about the, I feel this heavy responsibility because it's not being done otherwise. There isn't, everybody seems like they want to help and everybody has this this idea and these platforms to help vets, but then why is it that we hate each other so much?
1: Because they hate seeing other successful people is essentially what it boils down to. And and I don't know any other excuse for it. The only other time someone's talked shit to me, it's because they're sucking dick to pay rent and live in the middle of nowhere and they're mad about it.
0: So, so that's what I'm saying is like, I almost feel like this is it's a responsibility of our own people to like go up to those people and be like, you shouldn't have to be doing that. You shouldn't be working in a chase bank when you're one of the best snipers out there. I'm sorry. I, I Okay, maybe I just want more for you. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want to not have to have responsibility and worry about the bills and payroll and making sure your people are fed and, and growing and promoting and doing. And listen, that's fine. But I wonder though, is that really what you want? Like, do you really, you go from being that person to just rocking at a grocery store doing a nine to five I mean how happy are you actually though?
1: I've always thought the same thing about people that that do other jobs that are abstract from from mine right I love my shit, but I know that they they like what they do, and yeah. who the fuck am I to tell them otherwise?
0: No sure. I just worry
3: i I have a thought on that <clears throat> and it's something that I've um been trying to get better about articulating because I want those in our community. to create the life for themselves that they want, right? Because mental health is, I guess, a kind of, to go back to your earlier question of why did you
2: start Mm -hmm.
3: doing all these things, um, uh, improving mental health and really preventing suicide was the initial reason. Um, Well, that's not true. Um, The initial reason was because I just wanted to make people laugh. That's it. That's that making someone laugh brings me joy. So, if I can do that for a living, well, that sounds like a pretty fucking joyful life. And I chase feeling. I chase my joy. So, um I I wanted to make people laugh through films. The path to do that was through writing books. Through writing books. And and actually, I should preface this by saying what I'm about to say, the way I approach the rest of my life after the Marine Corps is the approach that is the, is the blueprint for the way anyone can approach their life if they want to design the life that they want. Instead of just letting life, I, f- I passionately hate it when I hear people say, oh, you know, I'm just going where the wind blows me or, you know, whatever happens, happens, God has a plan. I'm like, no. You create a vision for your life. And then you work your fucking ass off to execute the vision, to make the vision a reality. So what I did after the military, when I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to, I always, I, I, I was always kind of thought I was going to die, um, uh, honestly, in the military. And so once I,
2: um,
3: I, was, I got medically retired and my dream was special forces. And so that dream died. I'm like, okay, well, I got to chase another dream. <clears throat> the dream was to create a production company staffed with my friends and family that made comedies. So that we could make each other laugh while making people laugh for a living for the rest of our lives, like that was the dream life. Like, if if there was any, if I could choose my life, that's what I would choose. I was like, well, if that, if that's what I would choose, well, I live in America where we have the ability to make our dreams come true. Well, then that's what I'm. That's what I choose. So I'm going to work my ass off to make it happen. The path to create that was um, after studying doing lots of research. Okay, how can I actually make this goal happen? A production company that makes comedies. How do I get to that point? Well, through the research, the answer was, I need to start by writing books. Because by writing books, I will hone the craft of entertaining people with the written word. The written word is the foundation of all, not all art, but uh, uh, film, television, and even music. It comes down to writing. So I got to get good at writing. So... Um, I need to write books. Well, in order to write books, I need to write a blog first because that's where I really hone my craft at the the base level in telling stories that people actually want to listen to. And I can get immediate feedback on whether or not my shit is good um, with how many views each post gets. So I get immediate feedback and then I also develop the audience and I learn um, what it is that they liked about my stuff and what they did not. So the path to writing Books was to start a blog. And this is all through research. I just, I, I wrote, how, I, I googled how to become a self-published author. And this is what I found. And that's what I want everyone to take from this. Is that anything you could ever want to do, someone else has probably done it or done something close. Right. And you you now have the ability to learn exactly how they did it. And all you have to do is put, do your research. Study those who've done it. And... Apply those steps to your life. And as long as you can have the discipline to execute the steps, then you can literally do anything you set your mind to. And it all starts with fucking, starts with a vision. And then step two is Google. Oh, Everything I, exists. I did
0: the same online. thing. The exact same thing. Yeah. I went, how do I do this? I don't. I just learn. You Google. Yeah. Re- you, you have to ask, ask, ask questions. Talk to people. Pick their brain. Use the opportunities when somebody's sitting in front of you. Don't be afraid to just... If somebody's there that you think can be useful to you in in an educational standpoint, because one, they've either done it, or two, you know that maybe they think they know what they're doing, it's worth sitting down and just saying, hey, so how'd you start what you started? Mm -hmm. And it starts there, and sometimes that just sparks something within people, and and it gives them an opportunity to think outside of a box. Maybe they've never really stepped outside of, whether it be due to lack of education or mentorship around them or good leadership for that matter. Because it seems like the longer and longer that war went on, the worse the leadership got and you, you can't really leave the military and not be affected, not, not be affected by shitty leadership. Mm. It it, come, it follows you a bit for a little bit and some people never really – let go of it and they think like certain behaviors afterwards are still acceptable just because well nobody ever got them in trouble for it the first time so they're like well i can get away with it now i'm a civilian i should be smart enough to get away with it now so they think that shitty behavior is still allowed anyway it's that- like drunk driving yeah right
3: oh, you get it you get away with it yep. and you're like oh yeah i'm fine I can i'm fine this. i can drive i yeah. can drive i can drive and you kill a kid
0: yeah
2: like, Ooh. maybe yeah. i couldn't drive
0: yeah, and then you learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's 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 interesting. I um. I saw something, yesterday. I don't know what I'm allowed to say about it. I'll just say you can say it all. Okay, so I watched um some episodes of some stuff of yours.
3: Oh, what the uh, the AGL two, or one? the docu series? Oh, the docu series. Yeah, oh, yeah, one and two. Yeah.
0: So. Which one did we watch yesterday?
1: We watched uh, episode one yesterday.
2: Yeah. Not
3: two?
1: Two looks good. Two wasn't out until, well, two was out yesterday morning. I feel like this was the day before. Yeah, so you watched it the day before, and then episode two dropped this morning, which is early rough cut, but yeah.
2: Okay.
0: Let me ask you before I tell you what I think. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to tell you what I think. Yes, please. Yeah, you're like, um, I can see I that. I know it's <laughs> coming. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. What's the point of this?
3: Of the documentary?
0: What are you, what are you aiming for? What are you, what are you looking to drive home?
3: That the United States of America should never engage in a counterinsurgency in another nation again. Stop okay. it. Never fucking again. Learn your lesson, buddy. Learn your lesson, Uncle Sam. you fucked this up enough times. Stop.
0: Do you think it's going to stop?
3: Um. Uh, yes, I do. Why is that? Because um, <clears throat> access to information uh, only gets easier, and if we can create a conversation, uh, a nationwide conversation that gets a lot of press around the notion that the U.S. should never again engage in a counterinsurgency, then um, the people who run our government will see it. Like people in Congress, they're just average people. So one of their constituents or one of the people who works on their staff, it's going to get brought up because it's going to be in the press. Mm-hmm. So they're going to actually, they're going to be forced to talk about it.
0: You, you, you think that?
3: Well, I have to believe that because that's our goal.
0: Let me. The reason, let me say why I say that. Mm-hmm. The abortion of the pullout we went through. Oh, yeah. Okay. Your media spoke about it, left, right, and center. right? Ours was barred from talking about it. Completely. Oh, really? Oh,
2: 100%. Wait, beforehand or afterhand? During. Okay.
0: Before, during, and after. And I know this because I was asked to talk on it. And then once I told them what was happening, because we were involved and I was very brutally honest about it, we were told that the interviews would be canceled because the government has asked us during an active election to not bring it up. So what I'm saying to you is, even though it's in the press and it's being shoved down the throat, do you, do you really think that they're going to give it the attention that, that, that it needs?
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, if, if it's if it's I'm
0: hopeful. I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I'm not being a as, as I'm asking. So I'm, I'm I'm really serious.
3: If it's in the press, right? If it is something that is talked about, mm. um, then the idea exists in the minds of millions of people. There we go. The idea that mm-hmm. we should never do coin again, and just having that idea exists in the back of millions of people's minds, but especially the minds of of those who vote for our leaders and the the minds of our leaders, all they need to do is just watch one interview that reinforces the futility of counterinsurgency that compares this war to Vietnam and brings up all of the other instances when we have, as a government, have tried to get involved in in fucking up the governments of other nations. It has always backfired on us. It has never worked.
0: It's not just backfired on you. We all get pulled in.
3: Yeah, but it's, it's backfired. It's fucked everybody up.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's not. It's like America decides we're going to go fuck some shit up and then the rest of us go, Ugh,
3: oh. We're going to go put a new leader in Iran.
0: Great, thanks. Now we have to go too. We don't have the capacity for that. We don't have the humans for that in Canada. Yeah. Stop it. Stop it right now. Yeah. It's not fair. But the episode, the first one. Yeah, it fucked me up for a minute.
3: Oh wow what did you see the second? oh it's
1: not even done
0: What did I watch tonight?
1: You started watching the second but yeah. I mean the overarching goal of this is there's twenty million veterans in this country and many of them are very successful many of them are creating media many of them are bringing to light situations that other people aren't As far as I know, this is the first time that this is being talked about specifically. This is the first time that these tough questions are being asked and they're being answered by individuals that have first-hand knowledge or what we would like to call in the military SMEs and subject matter experts. No one else is a motherfucking SME except for us. No one else. Not DC, not the politicians, not these woke gas fucking cunts. It's us. We've been there. And for the first time in the past five years in this fucking country's history, everyone has an opinion, right? And that opinion is supported. And it's allowed people to run amok and to destroy things and to damage, destroy, and kill the bond that this country should have so these people with an opinion that feels so convicted in what they're doing or how they feel have no fucking say about how they feel of this document series they have none you can't base an opinion off of it and obviously everyone has an opinion but you can't watch this as somebody that is opposed to what they saw and they can feel convicted to stand behind whatever it may be this is the most apolitical docuseries there is we're not fucking with the left or the right no we're stating facts we're stating on the ground facts And we're backing it up with footage that justifies that. We're backing it up with footage that reinforces what we are saying. Not saying we're fucking perfect. We're not saying that we're wrong or right. What we are saying is that what we did is fucking real. And you can't take that away from us. And I'm not sitting here trying to walk through D.C. Carrying some fucking Milan LeVay flag and storm the Capitol. But what I want to do is kick every motherfucker in the mouth that has an unwarranted opinion on the war and like make them realize that it is vastly different than you think it is.
3: And I think that we're well on our way with this. Further, I want this to kick all the fucking senior leaders in our military in the fucking face who, and you're going to see this in, in so many of the lines in a grunt's life, especially the pilot. Um, who would say things like, um, you know, we can't always resort to violence. You know, we gotta, we gotta be really careful not to disrupt the people and disrupt their way of life. As you've got an infantry battalion in a fucking, in a dangerous part of the world, whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan. For them to utter those words, it indicates that there's a massive disconnect between them and the guys who actually fight the wars it means their disconnect is so strong that they are unable to make sound decisions
0: when do you when do you think that disconnect began what 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 year did that really start to happen
1: or is it at a pay grade
3: no i think it's at a pay grade
0: i think it's at a pay grade as well but i'm curious when do you think that happened how early on into the war Did they become that out of touch?
3: I think it exists in every war.
0: I think it exists in every war, but when do you think in our particular 20-year war did we detach that far from the people on the ground and made the decisions for them? At what point do you think that really started to happen in effect on the ground?
3: I don't know enough about... um about the history of the early years of Afghanistan uh, or Iraq to give a good answer but I my guess is and I would I would prefer that other people with more knowledge that answered this question my guess is that after the initial invasion when when the mission was we are going to topple this regime um, and then the regime was toppled now we are we've got hundreds of thousands of American troops in a nation that doesn't have a legitimate government nor an army. And somewhere in that time, our mission became nation-building. And then that nation-building turned into counterinsurgency. Somewhere in there. It got murky. It got murky. And then that's when the disconnect started happening, and the senior leaders of our government both the politicians and the generals, they start coming up with these grand ideas because, you know, they've got this unlimited budget and they disbelief that they can do whatever they set their mind to. That's a dangerous thought, <laughs> right? And they're like, yeah, if we set our minds to rebuilding this nation and uh, weeding out the insurgency and creating this new regime that is now sympathetic to, uh, to our country's goals, um, then we can accomplish it, right? And they believed it at the top but then the closer you get to the ground you start to realize this is not working and the guys on the ground almost always can acknowledge whether or not things are working like immediately
1: right the guys on the ground are like the parakeet in the cave yes in the coal mine yes yes
3: Yes. so they always know but then as soon as you come up the chain it goes company here's the thing is the platoon commander is likely going to fudge a little bit of what happened in a battle a little bit of the numbers to the company commander to look good. That company commander is going to fudge a little bit of the situation to the battalion commander.
0: Oh, it's telephone.
3: And the battalion commander is going to fudge a little bit to the regimental commander, and so on. So up the chain, the numbers, the, the, the picture that is being painted at every level becomes more and more inaccurate. And decisions are made based on their understanding, based on their picture of the battlefield. So as you get higher up the chain, you're getting more inaccurate pictures where the decisions have way larger impact um, are being made from. So you're getting big decisions made from inaccurate pictures of the battlefield. And that, the same thing happened in Vietnam and the same thing happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. Go up the chain and then you you get to this point where the guys at the top are just like, "Oh, all we got to do is put another 100,000 more troops in and we can make this happen. And it's like, we heard this before, 40 years ago.
0: And the worst part is we had less documentaries walking around. We had less cameras. We had less people who knew really what was happening on the ground then than we do now. And we don't squawk about it now. Nobody said anything now. No one's riding in the streets now. Everybody has fucking GoPros and iPhones on deployments, body cams. We have so much. We have so much evidence that this is so wrong. Yeah. But back then it's like there was riots in the streets. People were lighting themselves on fire and they barely had a clue. They just now are learning.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How, what do you, how is that justified? I wonder, I, I'm curious about that. You weren't to say something there, Nick. I'm just mad. You're just mad. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm just real fucking you, mad. Tell me about your feelings. Tell me about the feels
1: like you're not wrong and i almost didn't even like obviously i assimilated kabul and afghanistan vietnam but like i didn't really think about it even to that point where the fucking hippies are protesting about the war right and like Mm -hmm. no qualms against hippies promise but they were this degraded society this counterculture all this shit that like people didn't give a flying fuck about they were protesting and now, all of a sudden, we have like these privileged woke motherfuckers that like aren't saying shit, and the same thing repeated itself. Mm. You have the feminists that are shutting the fuck up while women are getting beheaded and raped in in Afghanistan. You have children that are getting handed over sea wire, and all these fucking people that are so passionate about how children are treated aren't giving a fuck about that either. That is, I was never political up until Kabul, throughout my entire fucking career, throughout my entire service through the DOD, the State Department, and the agency. Never give a fuck. I was like, I'm just going to stay apolitical. I don't give a shit because it only just causes nonsense. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And it puts, then
1: Kabul happened.
0: It puts you in a box, was what it does. It puts it in a box to everybody else around you.
1: I was fine being in that box because I've lived so far outside of my bubble and so far outside of that box that, like, no one's going to put me in it. I put myself in it because I, like, chose that because Mm -hmm. it's comfortable and it's fun, and I've already seen it, right? right? I I don't, like, you ain't going to teach this fucking dog any new tricks. So then when that shit happened, and I was pissed, obviously. I was enraged. And then... God, I don't want to make this put over. And then fucking tears are shed by POTUS. And then no one's saying anything. There's no Nike's being stolen. There's no protesting at the Capitol building. There's no fucking anything. And we've been doing this for 21 years. And no one has a qualm with how this just went down. Did I think anything different was going to happen? No. But did I think that we were going to hand over a trillion dollars in weapon systems, in munitions, and fucking vehicles, And then still watch 13 Marines get fucking blown in half? And then watch kids get handed over seawire? No. I didn't think it was going to happen like that. Did I ever think that we were going to establish a democracy? Fuck no.
0: Be glad you send people. (sighs) Be glad you send people.
1: Well, I mean, what what am I fucking glad for? What did we get? We got Bin Laden? Cool.
0: No, I mean, I'm talking about Kabul. I'm talking about... You, we, we pulled people. You pulled people. You guys, right. you pulled. Listen, you pulled. You fucking pulled. The, you and Brits pulled. And you know you did. Don't go there with me. We'll go there. You know you won't win with me. Because you pulled for me. Because my people wouldn't fucking pull for me. Because my people were told to stand down. Because my people had two people on the IRCC paperwork of all of Ottawa. Every fucking Canadian Afghani was emailing a website with two people on it. I dropped that story to CBC, CTV, Global, everyone, the fucking West Block there, Mercedes, everyone. They all got on the phone and they all dropped the story like it was a fucking hot potato. They don't care. Canada didn't care. So be glad you pulled anyone. Be glad you guys actually we- said. All oh, my point is, my point is, I'm glad you were there. I'm glad that you guys actually showed up and put effort. I think it's fucked up the way we laughed. I think it's fucked up that we left everything. I think there needs to be questions. There's questions that need to be asked and things that need to be answered and nobody's getting the answers for. The only people you know who has really great answers and a really great array of documentation is Griff. Griff has got some
2: shit. Right.
1: I mean, you're not fucking wrong, right? But what I'm saying is America as a country, the people that we sent there, those Marines that were right. sitting there, We're still just like we were early on, had our hands tied like they couldn't do anything. And then it's guys like that you and I know ended up contracting their own private planes to go over there to rescue these people. That is fucking bewildering and amazing all at the same time. And it still happened. But like it shouldn't take that and now our what our our chief of staff the the long tab guy uh, talking to china about various plans and such like that's fucking treason you know i don't give a fuck
0: we we welcome them we trained the chinese military in november and december of 2020 in the ottawa capital at the fucking ranges we have them on salt spring island outside of bc we allow them in our country my my dude My fucking brown face painting, thinking it's acceptable prime minister who shows up for Remembrance Day and Veterans Day this year late, late, fucking late, who goes and says, oh, hey, quick story. We just murdered a bunch of kids and then we found mass graves all across Canada this year. Guess what we did? We gave them a holiday. Guess who went on vacation on the holiday? Cool. So what do you expect when you have shit leadership? It fucking comes from the top. We watched it happen. It's a result of shitty leadership. Everything that we're seeing is a result of shitty leadership because we've allowed it to go on for 20 years, and there's never been anybody to question it. And if they do question it, you just lose your job. What happened to the individual? Was it a United States Marine that whistle blew, if you will, on the on the pullout? Isn't that a whole thing happening with him? Didn't he get pulled into prison and, yeah. and held all for just being what we've strived to tell our people to be, which is a good leader, somebody that can think on their feet, somebody that's honest, who's not going to like sugarcoat it, who's going to protect his Marines and said, we'll have 13 people die for what?
1: Exactly. So we all know this, right? But I mean, not only those 13, but also the tens of thousands that had, had gone before them. And then you're completely correct. The issue is our, our politicians, the issue is DC, the issue is senior leadership, But the thing is, right now in this day and age, it is so toxic and damning to an individual's reputation to challenge anything that is contradictory to what your side, to what your tribe says. And I have always been the one that challenges that, right? I have always asked the questions. That's not why I'm fucking religious. That's why I got in so much trouble in the military. Now, right I'm not the guy getting on a fucking privately chartered airplane to go over there and rescue a bunch of people. I could be. Thank God I fucking know friends that are. The thing that I can do is create something with Donnie that is a fucking hundred pound brick that I'm going to whirl around like a Tasmanian devil and hit fucking dc in the face with it
0: that's what i was gonna say to you next so do you think this is gonna be that was...
1: <laughs> oh my god that was, so that was sick. high
0: fives. but that's what i'm saying do you think this is gonna be the thing do yeah. you think that this can be the thing
1: no i mean obviously every little bit helps start but it's a start and at least it's not doing nothing
0: no mm-hmm. no i think it's gonna do more than i think it's gonna do more than nothing here let me let me describe to you
3: all we got to do is start the conversation.
0: Exactly, and that's and that's where the the basis of what my company was is if you can start a conversation, you can get somebody to think differently. And as soon as you can give them a second of oh, a little moment, it, that's all it takes. It's a spark. It's an opening. It's a crack. And that's all you need is to pry into that little crack and weasel away an idea. It. Exactly, and it doesn't take much. But the episode one, what I was going to say about it, because me saying oh, it it hits hard, that's not enough. There's more to it than that. So. The way that you guys chose to, in my opinion, incorporate the characters, but allow them to be seen in a serious light, to give that empathy and vulnerability to open up to people that have... There's a lot of people that have fallen in love with those characters, right? And they see...
3: Oh, you're talking about the characters from the show? Right, right. Okay. Okay.
0: So they know obviously it's you to an extent doing these documentaries and, and you, you guys talking, but like people attach themselves to something they see, a character that they can relate to. So people have related to characters in your, in your movies and in your books and they've related to that. They have, they have realized that they see something themselves that reminds them when they see you. And when you took a second to allow for those characters to be vulnerable and actually show that side of it, it hit a little different. And then as soon as you switch to real footage and then you cut to the interview and how you drop the footage in, that's what hit me. It was the way it was put in. It, it was this like understanding, like I was listening and I was hearing and I was watching you two talk and it's very clear. You can tell, you can tell if someone's been through something, you can see it. So you were, what I liked is instead of just using your voice and you two talking and showing that footage, you showed you two talking and you saw body language that showed vulnerability that people aren't quite, I don't know that used to seeing from you. Maybe that's just, maybe that's my personal opinion. But when you did that and then you attached it to the footage and you went back and forth, for whatever reason it was very uncomfortable for me. And
3: Good. I'll say yes.
0: And I I don't know Nick Nick knows I don't stop talking. And I think I was I wouldn't silent. Have guessed for, that. Nah, right? Fuck, right? But I don't know, there was a good there was a good chunk of silence.
2: <laughs> wow.
0: And it, it, it was really concerning and I actually even said to him, I said, Listen, I don't know if I can watch another one before we go to an interview tonight. I don't know if I want to be in that space. So if it elicits that type of response, I'm optimistic. And so I'm hopeful. And so that's why I ask you, do you really think it can? Because I think it has the potential to. Yeah.
3: yeah. I think. The the first draft of everything is always garbage. The first draft relative to the final draft. Of course. Final draft will be incredible.
0: Right. I think there's something that's important and necessary to be kept in that. and, And that's the simplicity not overdoing what it is, do you know what I mean? There's something that has to be so simple and raw and almost unedited about it because that's what people attach themselves to. They can see the pain when it's there. They can see the uncomfortable movements and the shifting in the chairs. The, that People like us pick up on that and it's visible for civilians to catch on to because most people can sit and have a conversation but you can see when you two started talking or you and another individual or Nick was interviewing someone else, you could see there was a visible movement change when they started talking about certain topics. There was this shift.
3: You know, it's so funny that she says that is I. Uh,
0: you're so concerned.
3: Yeah, I initially did not. Um, I I wasn't aware of what you're talking about, like my mannerisms and stuff. Yeah. Until I watched it. Right. And I was like. Whoa, I look like a fucking weird, like, I am look like I'm processing some shit.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, my eyes were doing this a lot.
0: You were in it. And I was
3: fidgeting. You're and in it. I was like. And my foot would not stop bouncing, dude. And, Whoa. like, it They're... bugs me now. But,
1: like, I was just, like, yep. like wound up. <laughs> so funny. And my foot just tapping, dude. Yeah. And, like, it bugged me. I'm like, fuck, dude, maybe I can have him, like, crop no, that don't out. No, don't do but that. But, like, I was just like, mm. uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, like face tells a different story
3: in my body language. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like body keeps the score. Yep.
0: Yeah. That, no, that's why I'm serious. I think that's important. I think that's something to be acknowledged because when we try to act like that shit doesn't affect us physiologically, you're lying to everyone. You're doing it a disservice. Mm
1: -hmm. No, but that's the best part about this. Right. And that's the best part about creating this is actually, I told Donnie this today, like this whole process is cathartic. Of course. And it I to be honest, up until I saw the first draft, I was in a very pessimistic and, and negative head state about this documentary hmm. because I knew that my reputation, my skill set, my everything relied upon the success of this. And I was like, I, I do not typically think, and in, in, I am typically not a pessimistic person, right? Like, if I can fucking do it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. Right. But this was almost so far outside of my control, even though I have complete control over it, that I, I was like, I don't fucking know. And then when I saw the first rough cut, it became my baby.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... I realized at that point that that was the benchmark. if I'm not getting on airplanes to go rescue Afghanis and interpreters and American contractors, the very least that I can to, that I can do with my creative talent is to make this this docu series in order to make people aware, in order to generate the questions in order to initiate the conversation. And I I'm not gonna lie, I didn't give a fuck about it until I saw episode one and I was like, this is exactly what the fuck I envisioned. And I was like, thank God, this is only rough cut one. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is the bones. And watching this with, with Nikki last night, I was you know, saying this earlier, like I started bawling after watching episode two because fuck. It's because uncomfortable. I, I realized that 18 minutes saved me two years of conversation in trying to explain how I feel, what I saw, what I felt, and what the reality is, right? Because no one's trying to bring up those conversations like, hey, you're pretty. Did I ever tell you about how I fucking smoke checked this one person? You know, like, dude, that shit doesn't fucking come up. But, like, it's still a big part of you, even though, like, I've dealt with it. I've put it back. It's on, Like, it's, it's good. Like, I'm in a good place. But it's very important for somebody that you're with to understand that aspect of you. And so for her to see this and backed up with on-the-ground footage and backed up with people that did the same fucking shit I did made me feel convicted. It, it it made me finally be like, fuck. Finally, mm. finally, the first time in my life I've ever felt like if I didn't make this and I saw that fucking shit, I would have, I would have sent that YouTube link to somebody and be like, Hey, you want to know about me? Watch this shit. Mm. And it was, it was a proud moment. And um, I'm, I'm fortunate to have that opportunity. Um, and I don't give a fuck how America feels, but they need to—they need to—to to know they need to see they need to get punched in the face by this. Yes, and well, you and I, I, th- and I, you and I are delivering a fucking mean green fist and, combo. Uh,
2: oh, fuck,
0: I think it's gonna—I think it's gonna shock a lot of people. I think you're gonna get a—I thought about it. I'm like, I think you're gonna get a mixed review. You're gonna get—you're gonna get one of two things from Vets. I really do. I think you're gonna get. People who are like, this is talking about the hardship. This is the stuff that, you know, a few of us have been screaming. Why aren't you paying attention? Why is it not enough that just people are dying? Why? You're forcing it. And that's a beautiful thing to some. Then you're going to get this. Leave it the fuck alone. Stop it. Stop bringing it up. Let it go and move on. You're going to get both.
1: Well, and my answer to the latter would be, why? So we can make the same mistake again? Right. So we can lose 50,000 lives again? If that's how you feel and you're still passionate about it after my response, then fuck you. You're not my fucking people. Mm-hmm. Right. Fuck you. Right. Like, stop talking about it? Cool. Like, is, has anyone fucking stopped talking about slavery? Has anyone stopped talking about genocide? Why? Why the fuck is this different?
0: Well, I would argue people talk about genocide and don't care. And the reason I say that is just, we just have active ch- concentration camps in places all over the world. And we do business dealings with them. Like it's, it's fine. It's perfectly acceptable behavior. We overlook it when it comes to finance, like to financial gain. I mean, we overlook it any other time. I mean, they're teeing it up beautifully right now. I, I don't know if you're catching on. Maybe I'm just catching on because the Canadian, Canadian news is awesome. In case you guys don't know, you guys should really check it out. CBC is super truthful. Um, so you're seeing it already where you're getting the we're getting isis warnings and like oh oh you feel that that's that military industrial complex getting ready to ramp back up because we shut that shit down and realize oh my god so much business comes from that and so i'm curious to see how long it's gonna take before we start this conversation again
1: out of my control i got a three-foot bubble and right. if I can control a docu-series that raises the question, then I'll mm-hmm. do that. But I can't live my life stressing and worrying about things that I can't touch or manipulate. However, if I can do it with my skill set, then then I'm fine with that. And I'm glad that I have the opportunity to do so. Right. Do I think that we're honestly going to learn a fucking lesson? No, I really don't. Um, do I think that there's other means in order to ensure that we learn a lesson. Yeah.
0: I mean, don't be sketchy like that, right?
1: Nah, I, I can't say that shit publicly.
0: Donnie. Yes. How did you deal with the Afghan pullout? Um,
3: I channeled my thoughts into the writing of the show, A Grunt's Life Season 2. So okay. that's how... That's how I have dealt with um, the majority of the things that I have been frustrated by. Um, probably my whole life is I channel them into comedy. Um, but now I, I'm i able to channel my frustrations into more focused and intentional comedy. Now, as I've gotten better at the craft of... Um, of writing in several different mediums. Blogs is one, books as another, and screenwriting is another. And so I um it's weird because I didn't I didn't get nearly as angry as probably I might have gotten many years ago. And that was because my writing deadlines were so intense. And I approached this project, The Grunt's Life Season 2. I knew it was going to be the greatest thing that I ever make. Or not that I ever make, that I have ever made. And I knew that, well, I didn't know. But I assumed that the success of Veteran Television, this company I've built that a lot of people depend on, in my mind, I'm like, the success of this company, success or failure is going to ride on this show. Because I knew that we were putting so much money into it that it was like, well, this thing better hit big or we're in trouble.
0: Yeah, you put it all.
3: And um, I like, I like, I like this fucking throwing, throwing it all on the table. You know, when I started this company, I dumped my whole life savings. I'll burn the ships. Um, And, uh, and so I didn't, I didn't do that with this show. Because, um, you know, I've. I have to make more responsible business decisions than that. But that was what I told myself. I was like, this is it. And so um, really nothing else in the world mattered. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's horrible. But I need to stay focused on my deadlines. I can't allow myself to dwell on all of this shit that is, is going to anger me. And, you know, I'm, I'm very realistic about where I can put my energy. And I knew I'm like, I'm not going to go jump on a plane and fucking save anybody. I'm not I don't live that life anymore right Um, um, I'm an artist and I have the I have the power to channel the impact that I want to make on the world into my art so that's what I'm gonna do so I was like I watched I didn't even because I don't watch the news
0: which is smart I have
3: apps on all my devices to keep the news away from me Um, and I've lived like that for many years and so I don't know I have no idea what's happening in the world none until usually people in my company tell me like the fucking capital. I didn't even know the Capitol was stormed until two days later when John was bringing it up in a company meeting. And he had this picture. He was, he was showing me this presentation that he was giving to the company. And then he's talking about, um, I don't know. There's a, there's a picture of the riots on there and he's going on about this. And I'm like, what is that? And he was like, Oh my God, you don't know. Do you? I'm like, no. He's like, they stormed the Capitol. I was like,
2: what? Get no,
0: <laughs> yeah, that—that that, I mean, it, they not only did they storm it, they did it in epic fashion. With what was that guy wearing on his head? Did you, you sh- have you ever done a skit about that? What? What happened at the Capitol? The full breakdown of that? <sighs> oh no! Oh my god! There's a skit in that somewhere. There's
3: just a million skits. I, I wanted to make a show. God <laughs> oh, damn it! Sorry. <laughs> Everything just got dark real quick. It got real dark. That's how I. <laughs> So is... I have to force myself to go to bed. My lights tell me. That's okay. Tone it down, buddy.
0: <laughs> Tone it down. Stop or the I'll headstands. Be,
3: I'll be doing cartwheels till fucking one in the morning. <laughs>
0: yeah, that guy. He had like, he was insane.
3: Oh,
2: Jesus Christ! We're
0: looking at the picture of the Capitol rioter that ended up getting put. Uh, in, With like the
1: bull, the bull horns and the horns, yeah. fur and the. Jesus. The Patriots face paint.
0: Yeah, he was going off about being like a shaman, and I know our buddy yeah, the Viking really wanted to fight him. He came on the podcast to challenge him to a fight. Like there was a full on, it was a thing.
2: Well, I think he he's was in very angry.
0: Now. Well, as soon as he, as soon as you hit certain shamanistic things and you start doing that, there's certain people that get their backs up real quick. And he was, yeah, that's a, that's just wow. disgusting behavior. Um, I, I
3: wanted to make a show about the National Guard units that were sent there to defend it, and oh. like the show, like <laughs> what it. Like, what does it look like to be a National Guardsman defending the Capitol? And it's a bunch of fucking 19-year-old losers fucking huddled around outlets in fucking congressmen's offices. And it's like, you're in congressmen's offices. The senators wouldn't let them come to their fucking offices. So the congressmen had to deal with them. And it's just like a line of fucking stinky guys going to go take a shit in the bathroom. <laughs> and then finally, they kicked him out. And they sent him to the parking structure.
2: <laughs> That's
3: hilarious. Meanwhile in the field, D.C. edition.
1: Yeah. Capital no, sure. Riots edition. While they're sitting there making fucking roast beef sandwiches <laughs> with these guys painted like Boogaloo Boys.
3: Oh, my God. Imagine you're in the parking structure and there's a hotel next door that you're trying to rip Wi-Fi from. Yes. So, like, if I was if I was a fucking junior soldier, I or even if I was an officer, I would go to the hotel. I would fucking rent a room and then get the Wi-Fi password and then, like, sneak off into the room. You know, every now and then you share the room to go fucking jerk off and shit. Yeah. Like that's that's probably what actually happened. <laughs> oh, that's hands a, down. That's a show. Hands down. That's a fucking show. You're welcome. Anyways, we were poor. I'm talking about serious Just shit.
0: Serious things, yeah. But no, but the um because I, I I'm curious how certain people handle this because it, it's like um oh yeah there was a very up and down reaction there was a very broad spectrum reaction there was all the way from fuck it, we were there for nothing, wasted 20 years of my life, to we should feel good of what we did, and fuck it, let's go back over and grab as many. And there was this whole swing, and it was was really interesting to see prominent people in the community and their responses to it.
2: Mm.
0: Because it almost was like, Certain level of people would look up to <clears throat> those individuals and how they were responding. They were looking to them for guidance, almost like, how right. how should I fucking feel about this?
1: Yeah, let's let in, uh, I mean, not to degrade their military service, but, you know, some service member on Instagram, right, like waiting for their announcement, right?
2: What is this let's guy
1: going to
0: say? What is this guy going to say about it?
1: Yeah, let's wait for, you know, Andy Stump's opinion. Let's wait for Matt Best's opinion. Let's wait for Evan Hafer's opinion. So that way, they can tell us how to feel. Honestly, I I completely agree with all of their opinions. You know, I love those guys. But, yeah, guys didn't know how to feel. To be honest, I didn't fucking know how to feel. I didn't know how to feel other than, fuck, that was quick. and mm-hmm. And then... You know, I started getting the nitty-gritty shit on Instagram. You know, the, the videos that aren't posted. And I was like, oh, that's bad.
0: Yeah, the dirty shit.
1: Yeah. And then after the explosion, and then after watching the fucking Taliban doing jumping jacks in our gym with, like, M16s and, like, PBS 31s and fucking... oh, I didn't see that. All this Gucci gear. Oh, d- uh.
0: dude. they We knew. We knew about some of those, like, these IEDs and stuff that were coming. Those... We...
1: Yeah, we knew all of it.
0: We were sitting, we were sitting on it. And hated it so much, and then we heard about it, and I'm like, Learn, "Move your families, move them now." And it's that—that's what bothered me. It's like we—we we knew to an extent. It was a matter of time. You don't have that many people at the gate. You don't have that many people at the gate, and don't think that they're not going to try something. We've just done this for 21 years.
1: Yeah, what do you think? Like, it's a fatal funnel. At the end of the day, you have 1500 people trying to get through a focus point right through a narrow pathway. Fuck. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to throw a bomb in there. If I don't like any of this shit going on, I cannot believe
3: that only that, that, that few of them died. Well, because I'm thinking if I'm thinking like my enemy, it's like I would convince every single fucking kid in the neighborhood to grab one of these Molotov cocktails... And just... And to fucking chuck these things in a wave and have them on a timer. Like, every fucking 30 minutes, chuck one of these fucking things. Or, you know, at, at this time tomorrow, all of us are going to chuck these things at this one thing. We're going to collect all the fucking hand grenades that we can find, and we're all going to th- come by at this point. We're going to step out of a car, chuck the hand grenades back in the car and drive. But it would so easy.
1: Dude, the reason why that didn't happen is because coin no longer exists, right? So they realized that fuck the Taliban is here we we don't have the safety blanket of America and they are now here to fucking stay we don't want this so now we're all huddled at the gate so now the option of trying to bribe a little kid to huck a hand grenade over something whereas he's trying to get the fuck out dude he doesn't want to get poked in the butt because we know that happens for a fact like it's much harder to to sell them and also this is Kabul this isn't
3: where were you again I was in Helmand
1: right oh. and, and I was in Kunar and so like the Stone Age
0: yeah I know where you're at
1: there it's easy right because it's different it, it's different I don't think like those people hence why they're holding on to landing gear at 10,000 feet you can't manipulate them anymore you can't brainwash them anymore you can't incentivize them with money anymore because they realize at that point and also to their detriment ah fuck we fucked up Mm -hmm. like now they're here like now we have to live with the fact that like we harbored this we turned a blind eye and also like not to their detriment like they're not wrong for that and and uh jamie said it perfectly like hey am i going to go with the nice guys or am I going to go with the guys that aren't going to fucking cut my head off? Mm-hmm. That's a fact of the Love matter, that and and that's that's why it happened. Like they're like, oh shit! Like this isn't nearly as cool as I thought it was going to be, and so they're bum rushing the gates, and then all you got to do is just fucking woof.
0: I'm I'm shocked because the amount of stuff that was coming through, the warnings that were coming down. I'm shocked that there wasn't an RPG just dropped in. There. I'm shocked mm. there wasn't um like. Think about that for a second, how much effort they went into to put something in the ground and how big the holes that they dug sometimes for those, those gasoline tanks and those things. If they wanted a, a big old bomb, they would take the time. I mean, it is, an, it is a shock to me. It is shocking that only one IED made it there. Mm-hmm. Only one. Mm-hmm. For what we knew, we knew 14 hours in advance of one of them.
1: Was it an IED Four- or was it like an S-Vest or something? Like, there's no way they're burying it that was shit. Like, no,
0: but that's, no, it, I'm pretty sure it was an S-Vest. But my, my thing was, I, I'm pretty sure it was an S-Vest. Am I wrong? I want it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, either way, it went boom.
0: Well, no, my, but I, because of the way, it, the way it went and how the blast, I, I thought it was, there, I, I know there was talk about it being a vehicle that was parked there it was in it i'm not 100 percent. but all i know is we got warnings 14 hours before another one was supposed to go and they sent guys out to there but apparently those guys weren't allowed to leave to go do that so they were just going to sit and wait and all we got was move your families good luck they're moving people over walls
1: i mean honestly i'm thinking if you have a 20 foot width of this funnel going into a gate like you can't put any more soldiers or marines there than 13
0: well they can't like
1: they got everyone
0: well they're what are you gonna lift a rifle up when you're you're did you see how tight they were yeah
1: fuck no you can't i don't we, i don't blame them at all
0: we had a three-year-old we had a, the one family the high value canadian family the three-year-old they got close enough to the front of the gate and the their, their family taught him. you you kick the taliban when you see you fucking you don't don't go with them this three-year-old kicked this guy in the shins they beat the living fuck out of him a three-year-old, right in front of Americans. Nobody can do anything. It was a loss. It was, it was a loss. It was a wash. It was, it was sad. It was, it was heartbreaking. It was defeating, and it, was, it left everybody feeling like, why, why, What? what the fuck was that for? Why do I lose sleep every night over this? What I want to know is, do you really think... Do you think the Afghans ever thought we would fully leave yes the reason i ask that is because I've, in my in my eyes there was a lot of people that were super cooperative with us they put their life on the line Who will never see their family again to go just be terps and just live that life at a chance of just knowing they could help their families a little bit I have a hard time understanding why they'd be willing to do that with an end date in mind.
2: Um,
3: I think that I should, I should make the point that um, it is really, really hard to generalize Afghans as a, as a term Okay. because they're so different. Afghans in Kabul yes. are night and day different from Afghans in the Helmand province. Or okay. in the mountains. Like Le- night and day. So
0: I guess let me let me let me reference this then. I'm speaking about the Afghans that I worked with or knew who were from the Kandahar and the Pandua and the Maywan and Kandahar. Like that that's my that's my area. So I'm going off the individuals I know, I'm going about the British the British that I know that served in Helmand. And I'm going from there because we had so many people that the terms that we worked with were solid. It seemed like they were solid. We'd, I didn't run into that. The ANA fucked us and led us down a path. I got fairly lucky in the situation I experienced. So I guess I'm generalizing in that sense. It seemed like we had solid people. This pullout proved that we had individuals that worked with us on a mass scale and seemed to be somewhat effective. So my thought is these individuals in particular, I always wonder why they would have went so hard in the paint with us if they thought we were going to leave and then that would put everyone else at risk
1: i can completely answer that hit me there's two reasons okay uh one of them i'll reference myself right so when i started i took a lot of fucking free photos and a lot of chances and volunteered for a lot of things without pay with the hopes that it was going to pan out for something better And I think that as an interpreter, they did the same thing, right? I don't know what's going to happen. Can't guarantee it. Can't promise it. But I think that if I bust my ass and I don't piss these people off, then potentially I have a chance for me and my family to get extradited through the State Department system Mm -hmm. or to get out of this country. Mm -hmm. The caveat, well, it's not a caveat, but the only other option that I would foresee if, in fact, like they didn't care to leave their country is they believed in their country, Mm -hmm. and they believed in what they were doing, and they didn't like the Taliban, Mm -hmm. which are two very, very acceptable fucking reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think a large part of it is, I I think the majority of them did it with hopes that we were going to give them something more, Mm -hmm. which only strengthens my resolve and my anger towards the fact that we fucking left them there because there is no more valuable person within... A military platoon than the interpreter and the medic. Mm-hmm. And if your interpreter is good and he's trustworthy and, and he doesn't fucking jade the words, you are the most important fucking asset because mm-hmm. other than that, we don't have any information. It's fucking hand and arm signals and sign language and bullshit. So by them putting forth everything that they could for us, give him value. And with the way that shit went down, we showed them how little of a fuck we gave. Um, but I think unequivocally, and I'm not always saying I'm fucking right, but those are the two answers that I have. Like, you want a better life, or you just don't like the Taliban, and you want a better country.
3: I worked with exactly that. They, Some of my Terps um, hated the Taliban because the Taliban killed their family. And some of them... Um, actually it was some of them were both they just wanted to get make it to America the, the thought of making it to America was the greatest vision they could ever have in their life for their own life so
1: uh, and he, like a topic that we brought up in the docu-series is racism towards that culture
2: mm-hmm.
1: right there was so many times that it's like all oh, these fucking Hodge right yeah. and, and there's these videos. people these people.
0: Oh, yeah. I think that took me a good seven years to stop saying.
1: Right. I fucking hate these people. Yep.
2: yep. And for them. a
1: very, very them. long time after I transitioned and got out, I still had... I was skeptical around them. I wouldn't say that like I was judgmental or I was racist, but I didn't trust them whatsoever. Right. And then on multiple occasions, I ended up having having... A hammered conversation with my Uber driver who just happened to be from Kabul Mm -hmm. or he was from Baghdad or he was from Ramadi. And I've been with other guys that were from the service that like straight up pulled out a pocket knife for getting ready to slit this guy's throat, like in the back of an Uber. But all I wanted to do is have a conversation with them. All I wanted to do was just ask him questions in the little Arabic that I remembered And every one of them has told me I wanted a better life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do more. And I finally got here because I was an interpreter. Like, no shit. 80% of my Uber drivers that are from the Middle East were interpreters. Mm -hmm. And I'm fucking dumbfounded. I was like, yo. Like, I was so excited. Like, I get out of my fucking Uber. I'm like, hey, hey, like, let's get a picture.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I was just like, dude, thank you. Like, thank you for everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there was a catalyst in, in the change of that thought process that I had, but I'm glad that it happened. That is so cool that you do that. Because I was stoked on him. And mm-hmm. you and I have both met the worst of the worst and the best of the best. And I was glad to see that they did it. They figured it out. They got through this country. And now he owns a fucking liquor store. And now he's driving Uber. And now he's probably a kayak kind of tour guide in La Jolla. Mm-hmm. Fucking right on. Because you know what you're not doing? Getting blown up at the ECP mm-hmm. at the fucking airport. And I was, I was proud of them. Yeah. I was so stoked on it.
3: So, Because what I love about immigrants of any nation, my mother's an immigrant, and is in, in, in any immigrant who has made it to America, they have seen what it's like to live in another nation that is not America. And while living in that country, they had a dream of one day making it to America. And whenever I've asked an immigrant, what was it that attracted you to America? Of all of the other countries in the world, there's a a lot of other countries that you could go to that are less shitty than whatever fucking third world country they came from. There's a lot of options. Why America? The answer is always... Because America provides the most opportunities for me and my family. That is the greatness of this nation. It's not our fucking military. It's not our government. It is, the, it is the, the system we have designed, the freedoms that we have created that give people the opportunities to literally make their dreams come true. And immigrants, especially interpreters risking their lives, appreciate the vision of America so much so that they're willing to put their lives on the line for it. It's what also makes me hate a lot of these fucking Americans that are such proud, red-blooded Americans. They've never risked shit to really show their appreciation for this nation. They don't. their actions never matched their words. But immigrants, especially interpreters, the actions match the words because they made it.
0: No, they they put up they, they put up, mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, Monique. They put up, you, you know what I'm talking about, but they do. There's, there's, uh, an understanding almost. I ran into two people on my way over here in the in Vancouver airport, these two girls. And, um, they're both Indian and they're Americans and they were going, um, they were going back home and we were having conversations and, uh, I, we, we sat down I said, listen, there's no tables. Do you want to sit with me? They're like, sure, because we were standing in security line together, right? So we were already talking shit. And so um, one goes, oh, I do mathematics and aerospace engineering. And the other one goes, I, you know, I've, uh, I've gone and I've revamped you know, this, whole, this whole process of like, home care and how it should be looked after and how people should be cared for. And I looked at him and I said, you're first generation, aren't you? You're not, you weren't, were you born here? And if you were born here, I mean, your parents just got here with you, didn't they? Oh, hell yeah, 100%, 100%, unequivocally. It was, it was obvious. There was, no, there was no way around it. You could tell. You can see it. You can hear it in the way somebody talks about how they work and their ethics. And you can tell who's an immigrant. And you can tell who's been handed everything. And these were just two complete strangers. And they are the funniest just surreal and open and honest about that culture as well. Like it was an obligation. I had to finish this because my dad would say, I didn't fucking risk everything. I'm not going to do yeah. the accent because I live in Canada and I would get my throat slit yeah. <laughs> I, and I live in Vancouver. So like the Surrey population has already given me shit from another show. So we're just going to leave that alone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but they, the, the immigrants that come over it's it's a you better finish college. Yeah. I did not slave away carry your ass through literal fire to get you here. Yeah. To I've talked to Tulam about this. We've had this conversation. Ugh. What?
2: Nothing. True.
0: Your face. Okay. So anyway, I've talked to two about this and we've had this conversation about his mom and that idea that immigrant idea and what that looks like, and and this and the seriousness of having to 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 escape somewhere with your family and kids and kids. And now I'm a parent, and so it fucked me up when he's like, my mom, they just carried poison in case when you're out on a ship, a pirate got there because they would mutilate these kids. They would straight torture them and mutilate them from Vietnam. Like he he was there during the during the war, and him and his mom and his brother made it. On a boat and it was, and it was some Russians that ended up grabbing them and, um, saving them and pulling them because it was, uh, I, I, there was another government they washed up on and then the coast guard that, whatever that government was, took them back out, shot the motor, left them all there to die. And then there was a big storm and it brushed them up towards Russia. And when, wow. when somebody says my mom had poison to give to me just in case so that I wouldn't have to suffer. Okay, cool. So, like, Jesus. when your Starbucks is cold, yeah. I don't want to hear about your shit. Yeah. People have gone through worse, and you can tell because when they, when they come to America and when they come to Canada, all they want to do is make that country proud just mm. for the simple opportunity that they, they just get to set foot there for a second and not have to worry that there's going to be bombs under their feet mm. or if someone's going to pull them out of their house by their hair and execute their entire family. Like, there's something about immigrants and the way they work. And, and when they settle here, it's, it's undeniable. And so, I'm really, I'm really hopeful for what you have coming. Because I think, in my eyes at least, it seems different than anything you've done.
2: Mm-hmm. It is.
0: Why did you want to make it so different? Why now?
3: What better time? Yeah. I've, um, the, the show, A Grunt's Life, season two, was written with um, a lot of themes and messages in it that are, are woven um, beneath and in between wildly fucked up comedy. Like, it's a comedy that no one will ever make. And um, and that was intentional. It was like, okay, as we get better at the craft of screenwriting and storytelling, it's like we have the ability to make people laugh, and while we're making them laugh, let's insert all of this stuff that is going to be good for our community. And then when it came time to make the documentary, we're like, well, we have all of this, all of these deep-seated themes and messages in the show. Let's not try and leave this up for interpretation. Let's make it really fucking clear. This is what we want to communicate to our community. And um, and so the documentary is essentially, it's, it's all of the serious. It's just like, yeah, you thought Vet TV was just a bunch of fucking jokers and a bunch of goofballs? It's like, actually, no. We're fucking combat vets who have lived the some of the most in, intense experiences that you can live, but especially over the last 20 years, and we have something very serious to say to our community, and that's what the documentary is. The documentary is all the serious. The, the show is, is the jokes. The documentary is like, oh, this is the serious side of us, um, the people who create this stuff for this community and with this community. And um, we've been needing to do something like that for a long time. And we just, honestly, we just didn't have the right person to do it.
1: (laughs) Thanks for hiring me,
0: dude. Yeah, baby. It's a weird weird sexual energy in the room right now. It's always
1: there. I mean, we are on Gay Street.
0: I mean. Yeah. Yeah. The writing's on the wall, people.
1: Yeah, literally. That was one of the larger stipulations of, of me joining the company um, because I was unsure at first and I knew what Vet TV was creating and I knew the level of irreverence which is something that I very much also have but I wanted to make sure that it was diverse I wanted to make sure that if you're not in the mood to laugh which frequently I'm not I wanted something else. I wanted something else to sink my teeth into, and this just so happened to be the first thing. Now, I stepped in a week before we started filming A Grunts Life Season 2. I don't even know any motherfucker's name in this company. And next thing I know, I'm on set filming and capturing content. And drinking from a fire hose with that level of responsibility was one of the more stressful things that I've ever had to manage. So going into a meeting where we concepted this idea in order to create this docu-series, it was, out of all the bullshit, it was the only thing that made sense. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what I know. Like, that—that that is something that I legitimately feel capable of creating. And they said, all right, fucking go for it.
3: Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Whoa. all right, here we go. Like, I I'm know. just getting my feet wet. Yeah,
2: yeah because
3: you. <laughs> no, no, no. When you join Bed TV, you jump into the deep end. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: because what happened was that was the weekend I met you. You got in the truck, we got talking. You're like, I'm going to work on this project. I was like, cool. How do you feel? You're like, I don't know. We're
2: gonna see. <laughs> solid dude. I you will like find out.
0: I, well, he's like, I've got to go to this thing. I, you know, I'm. I'm. It's, it's gonna be interesting. I don't know what I'm looking at. And I'm like, cool, man. Like, sounds good. He's like, do you know who these are? I'm like, yeah, I know of them. He's like, cool, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I was like, all right. Like, I just met him that weekend, and it's really funny too to kind of see his his tone change mm. just from the. I had a limited interaction before we had our first experience, but his tone change and his ability to be vulnerable, crack. And I do wonder, I do wonder if you didn't go and do Aya that weekend before you went and stepped in with Donnie, what that documentary would have looked like.
1: That is a gnarly fucking question. Do you gnarly, anything else from gnarly anybody but- question. I don't think so. I I don't think that I could have done it without that level of a new understanding of myself, without that new perspective on a multitude of things. I wasn't ready going into it. And even when I came out of via, I don't think that I was ready going back into the docu-series. I mean, I, actually, I was fucking less ready than I was going into it because I'm still trying to process everything that just happened. Mm-hmm. But it, for the first time in my life, I was meditating. For the first time in my life, I was so fucking overwhelmed with emotions and feelings and analyzing everything. And I thought that, like, I analyzed the shit out of things before. But, like, this was extra. I mean, I called her and I was like sitting there meditating in my fucking hotel room with my legs crossed crying because like I was having a hard time transitioning from actually I use this example like coming back from I felt like coming back from Ramadi it felt like coming back from the gnarliest deployment ever and not in the sense of pain but in the sense of no one else understands Hmm. and that was the hardest part is it's like Fuck, you don't get it. Like, it was so spiritual. And for those words to be echoed out of my mouth is fucking batshit. (laughs) Never would I have said that before. But it was the most spiritual experience that I've ever had in my life. And any little bit of whimsical, this is hippy-dippy bullshit, went right out the window after night one. And i came out of it a different person not definitely obviously not you know cured of a multitude of things because when i went into aya you set your intentions and and a lot of it was having to deal with all all the suicides that i've had to deal with over the past few years i think right now uh the last one was number 25 uh since 2013 And I've always compartmentalized it so well. And I felt like that is what I had to deal with. Come to find out it wasn't. But coming out of that gave me a whole new look on things, on people, on perspectives. And for the first time in my life, I felt comfortable being vulnerable. And so I think that going into the series, I... I was searching for that, right? Like I was searching to create and evoke the emotion that I felt, uh, in any capacity that I could, I knew the shots that I wanted. I knew the structure. I knew how I wanted it to look. Trying to convey that to somebody else that wasn't fucking just getting off of ayahuasca is hard. (laughs) And then with all the meetings and, and the pressure and, and all this stuff, but a epic question, b. I don't think that it, it would be what it is now if I didn't just get back from Maya before getting balls deep into this.
0: I wonder yeah. what Donnie would be like. Um, I'd be curious to see. I'd be really interested to see you go experience that and then see what you come out with afterwards. Content wise. I'd be really fascinated to see. Cause I think, listen, I think you've, you've, you've cultivated an incredible group of individuals and you created a community that has a safe space. To say face melting things, mm. to say the things that only <laughs> they only say in your head just because you're so afraid that if you do, somebody catches you hearing it out loud, you're going to be arrested. You know, you, you say those things and you have for a while. I, I, I'm glad to see this side because I think. People value your perspective sincerely, deeply. They, they, they're, they're, they crave understanding you a little bit, I think.
1: For sure. Well, I, speaking about Donnie, yes.
0: Speaking about Donnie, yeah, I think they do. And I think this is a, this is a powerful side. And I think, I don't want to say it's about time, but I'm, I'm happy to see it because it's so needed in the community. It's desperately needed more than it ever has been before. We've dealt with suicides before, but we've never dealt with anything like this. And so I'd be really fascinated to see. I don't know. Is that something you could ever see yourself doing? Dabbling in ayahuasca, five meo, dm. You know that that kind of deal.
3: Uh, yes. Yes, I'll do it at some point.
0: Yeah, when you're ready. You got to hear the call, ready. man.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have the urge to do it at all.
0: Then it's not right for you I right, right now. Then, right? Yeah. Yeah, when you do though. Let me know. I'd like to pick your brain after. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You're a fascinating person to have that I'd I'd
3: love to be there for it.
0: Oh, yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it again because it's like I've now I've got to see you from an outside perspective without any, without not knowing you, without, you know, meeting you. I've gotten, I've known of you through people through, you know, I've started to know about you. I've understand and followed your content. I've seen what it looks like. I know what it sounds like. And then to see you go through something like ayahuasca and see how quickly it affected him, I would—I would be so curious to see the content that comes out after.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting thought.
0: Does it make you nervous?
3: Not really. Um, truth be told, I have probably the most fortunate life of anybody that I know. Right. Um. So. I I know that I am not riddled with the same pains and demons um, and traumas that most people are, but especially most combat veterans are. I'm not. Like, my experience in combat was nothing compared to yours. Nothing. Not even close. And so... I don't ha- I I did not watch any Marines die. That alone, right there, like that's a different fucking do- different ball game. Mm-hmm. No one in my company died. A lot of guys died in the battalion, but not my company. And my my company is that you know like that's their, that's your guys. So um, so that alone makes me fortunate. And- I would encourage you not
1: to think of it as a medicine for pain. But Mm. it's not just that. It's also a certain level of enlightenment. Mm. It's a certain level of understanding uh, and moreover appreciation for the things that we take for granted in the world around you. Mm. You start seeing things becoming way more beautiful than they used to be. Mm. You start understanding things that you previously didn't understand uh like the appreciation is there and i think as an artist like you are it has the potential to exponentially make you greater Mm. to make you more talented to create more uh neural pathways in your brain Mm. that can generate more creativity and more success
0: Mm. so there's this thing where Cannabis and and this is all you know regurgitated information that I've learned from the shaman. But there's this thing where they say you know like cannabis and psilocybin are they're the they're the grandchildren. They're like the they're like the mischievous, mischievous uh, plants. They're they're those guys. They're there. It can be used in ceremony. They can be used for healing, but they're there, right? And then and then there's Grandma Ayahuasca. And she's the pillar, mm. and and you go to her when you're really ready when you're really ready to face it all and not even that it's anything negative. Like we've had this conversation with Nikki. She's like, I haven't had trauma. I don't, I don't know that I need it. I don't know that I want to take away from somebody else. I said, listen, this isn't, you know, we, we get the warning from the friends when you first start to dabble. Don't be the billboard. Don't do it. Don't go to everybody. Like this is a cure all fix all. Cause it's not, but what it is is it's a temporary moment in time for you to have everything that's ever happened to you put in your face and the ability to analyze and think and see it differently from a completely different perspective mm. on top of just astral projecting to other dimensions that's a different conversation <laughs> but it's create for creative minds yeah wow what an opening what an opportunity what a what an honor what an honor to sit in her presence to have that moment to see her feel her and know there's something bigger that at least for me as a vet and somebody who really struggled with things like survivor's guilt and shit like that that's she stopped the suicidal ideations that weekend it fucking stopped and hasn't come back she stopped that shit she showed you there's a better way to live and it's you start talking like you're a fucking lunatic afterwards because what's that saying there's a documentary out about it um and uh, i'm trying to think of the name but there's a saying at the beginning of it and it's funny because griff repeated it to me the first time i ever did a podcast with him and then i didn't understand and he goes there's uh, the beginning and it goes it's like there's a life before Aya, and then there's a line and then there's life after matt griffin yeah
3: Oh my god, I love him.
0: Yeah, so he's a really good buddy of mine. I'm gonna tell you how I met Griff because he gets talked about in every fucking podcast of mine because he's he's one of my favorite humans.
3: Okay, so he's 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 talking about our all this conduit. stuff.
1: He's the one that introduced me he's to our Kelsey. Yeah, because he's the one that invited me out.
0: Yeah, and so to
3: what the ayahuasca? Yeah, yeah the last. Okay, one so he did. talks about all this stuff. Yeah, psilocybin. Yeah. He's the one who introduced me to microdosing. <laughs> oh,
2: <yes! laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't even... want to say it, you know, give his name up. But yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no yeah. He, he's good. <laughs> no,
2: so, when that I had a boy, Griff. Well, yeah, yeah. So Griff, you're,
0: you're doing good work. He calls them his like enlightened warriors. So yeah. So what happened was, I started the podcast, and uh, my husband came to me and he goes, hey, "You know, we need to get you some sponsors for the show. I think you've got something here." Why don't you reach out? Do you remember we watched Shark Tank a few years back? Why don't you reach out to that that company that makes bullets and flip flops? Because I put bullets in jewelry, and I was like, and sunglasses. And it
1: was. It was that idea.
0: It was Brady's idea. Shocker! Fucking Brady for the win again. God damn it! Stop winning and everything has been.
2: And he goes, (laughs) "Why
0: don't you reach out to him?" And I was like, "Yeah, he's not gonna answer. I'm gonna give it a go." So I reach out to him. He emails back fucking immediately. Yeah, let's do it. We go together like peanut butter and jelly, flip flops and sunglasses, bullets, and I'm fucking down. So they sponsor the show, right? Right off the bat, shows not even out. guys takes a chance. And I go, so I'm like, well, he said yes once. Let's see, do you want to come on? I said, do you want to come on the show? And uh, he's like, he's like, um, yeah, fuck it, I'll come on the show. So I'm sitting here going, like, I got this West Point graduate, fucking Army Ranger right off the bat and i'm kind of going oh i don't know what i just did i don't know i fucking bit off way more than i can chew here this is going to be a cute look right so we do the podcast it goes exceptionally well i had a fucking fantastic time and at this point i was really struggling like bad again like i had taken a dip i had taken like i was was on the up and then a fucking covid hit company went into the shit purpose went out the window and there she goes (laughs) bye (laughs) in one of those situations so I finished the show and I'm all like doing my thing. And I'm like, okay, cool, man. I'll talk to you later. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Just stay on for a second. I got to talk to you. Leans in real close. And he does that thing where he goes, how you doing? That Griff look. The-
1: I hate it when he does that.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm like, stop fucking <laughs> looking he's in he's my looking. soul. <laughs> oh, I see you. I
0: see you. He goes, I said, yeah. And he- I am fine. I'm great. I'm great. He goes, Cool. Cute. Let's try again. How you doing? Fucking <laughs> blood! Wow, <laughs> broke me like that, and that doesn't happen, right? And he goes, "Listen, I got this. I don't know if you know about this, but um, and I don't know what your deal is, but there's this really great charity called the Rover Guards, and I think we have an opportunity and opening, and I think it might be a good fit for you. It's a bunch of combat vets. They're all dudes. So if you want us to talk to your husband to let him know that, like, like you're gonna be the only female there, and I'm like, he." There will be no fucks given here, so don't bother. But yes, like, thank you for even coming out and saying something like that, right? There's a respect there that's given. So anyway, I go and I meet and I do I with this group. And then ever since then, I, he's, he's my homie. He's my bestie. He's one, of, he's one of the reasons that so many vets get so many opportunities. He helped open the door and introduced Jesse Gould. And when that happened, which also really fucked me up because that's a whole other name thing. We'll get it, I can tell you another time. But um, he gave the opportunity to open the door. And again, it's that, it's that thing going back to it's like he gave an idea. And that's all it took. And after that, everything got better again
2: hmm.
0: because of plant medicine. Hmm. Not because of Griff. We can tell him it's because of Griff, but it's because plant medicine, he found it. And when he found it, you have this obligation almost after to help others because you know how powerful it can
2: be.
1: Mm -hmm. Donna, do you believe that there is still some indiscernible path for meeting the people that you meet for making the connections that you make like that? It might not have been by your design, but it was still meant to happen. Because I'm an atheist like a motherfucker, right? I, I do not believe in a god or a religion whatsoever. But I've seen some spiritual shit.
0: I was a betting man.
1: And I've also unequivocally been introduced to people... In the most obscure ways that have perpetuated my happiness, life, and success to a degree that i I can barely fathom, do you think that that's dumb luck or do you think that there's something that's gotten <clears throat> in it and I don't want to put a title on it, but
3: something I too am a very very hardcore atheist um, but I believe in energy and I believe that the higher power is the collective of all of the energies of life and that, um, that we attract, um, the energy attracts, um, the, the type of energy that it needs. So I don't think that there is any plan that is created by any higher power. I would agree. I think that there is, um, I think it comes, I, I I probably need to do more research into this shit and really articulate my philosophy on life, but um, I think it comes down to the law of attraction and um, that, you know, the energy that we are exuding that, that starts with our thoughts, our thoughts and our emotions, you know. We make a decision that we we want to get better, that we want to grow in a certain direction, that we want to create a certain kind of thing. And then we're going to start meeting people who also want to grow in that direction, who are going to help us grow in that direction, who are um, going to help us create the things that we want to create. And I think as, uh, I, I, one of the things that I really want veterans to get better at, I want to encourage our people to do, is to get better about expressing themselves. Because in doing so, you are exuding the energy that you need to exude to attract the right people and things into your life. And if you just sit there like a lug and never talk to anyone, never t- talk about what you're thinking or feeling, you're just watching TV all day or scrolling all day. Fuck you. You don't you don't know about me. You don't know what I did. Yeah. It's like, well, you're not helping yourself. You help yourself by expressing yourself first. That's where it all starts. Um, and so... Yeah, to answer your question, I don't think that there is any plan. I just think that there is energy and intention. Um, and that starts with with what we're thinking and feeling deep in here.
0: What else do you do besides fitness? Because there's this thing and the saying I find that works really well with people who kind of are stuck. And so I'm curious your thoughts on this. There's this, those who want to learn, read. Those who want to empty, write. Right, It's that that idea of journaling and writing and getting those things out. It's not that you necessarily need to talk about them, but it's it's about getting it out. Do you see that being just as effective or as effective at all?
3: Yes. Um, I went through a pretty good phase uh, before COVID started and then through COVID for a certain period of time where um, um, I woke up and journaled every day. Um, And... It wasn't necessarily right when I woke up, and I I've been trying to to design a morning routine for myself that helps me optimize my day. And um, part of for some period of time, I tried waking up and immediately writing what I was thinking. That was okay, but what I what really worked for me was during my morning workout, um, having my laptop open. In my room, I used to have another a room even bigger than this, and that was also my exercise room. And um, and while I was doing my exercise in the morning, um, I, I exercise is when I plan it properly is meditative for me. And um, and I also spend a ridiculous amount of time alone. I spend more time alone than most people I know. And I think it's really, really healthy because it, it means I'm forced to get comfortable with my own thoughts. And, um, and and what that means is I process all of the things that I'm thinking and feeling by thinking about it over and over and over. And then um, eventually I find the answers to why. And it's always just a matter of asking why. Why did I say this thing to that person? Well, you know, it's Sometimes it's, it, it used to start with, Why is this person treating me this way? And then when I think about it for fucking hours and days, I always find, oh, well, that's because of that one thing that I said to them way back when. and That must have created something, a negative energy within them that finally expressed itself in that moment when they said this thing to me, and then that pissed me off, and then I didn't talk to them for this period of time, and it's like just... I just run it back, playing the, the the memories that exist in my mind and finding, asking why and finding those answers. And I started writing out all of the thoughts and the answers while I would exercise in the morning. That was incredibly helpful, and that got me through a lot of really difficult parts of entrepreneurship, um, which has come to be the greatest challenge of my life. And that has been very, very healthy. Now, and I think it's... I think it's partly a lack of discipline lately that I, I have not been doing that. Um, but also, once I picked up a grunts life as a project, I completely dedicated my life to that. From the starting with the writing process, which I don't I don't remember how many months ago that was, but I um, it's just like I just built. I, I said I'm always trying to. Do something great. I don't just want to do okay shit out. If I'm going to do something, I better be one of the best in the world at it. So if I'm going to write a script, this better be one of the greatest scripts that has ever been written. And in order to do that, I have to completely immerse myself in this script and shut out as many distractions from life as I can. And that enables me to focus. And when I focus, that's when I, and most people do their best work. So I stopped doing. I stopped focusing on on any of the other things in life once that project started and I'm still in that project right now in the editing process. So I don't have that, but now what I have is I have my project, which is my work, which is uh, the majority of my life and then outside of that, I have the joy that I chase. And so I'm not spending my time trying to think and process shit. I'm just chasing joy lately. And that joy is coming from mountain biking, skateboarding, surfing, spending time with my family, my niece and my nephew, my brother, um, and, uh, and my cousins and, you know, that, that, that's my life right now. Um, that's, that's how I get through all of the things. I just, these are the things that I need to be really fucking good at. These are my deadlines, which are nonce. I don't have a day without deadlines. And then outside of that, I'm chasing joy and the joy might be looking out the fucking window just like watching like watching the sunset is one of my favorite things like i will fucking go race 100 miles an hour to go catch the sunset on any given day that sunset just brings me joy
0: what's that about is there a memory attached to that
3: no it just looks so fucking beautiful i'm just like every single sunset is like it's like a painting right. that i will never see again
0: Mm, I like that. I was like, I have
3: to fucking see it today.
0: Oh, I like
1: that. Do you find a shit ton of therapy in the ocean? Yes. Like, do yes. you have
3: to be around it? Yes. That's what I'm, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Pay, pay a lot of money to be able to fucking look at it. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> and
1: I find myself, like, if I go on, like, a photo shoot or a work trip or something, if I'm landlocked and I don't hear the ocean Mm. or if I can't like smell like a little bit of salt in the air Mm. like after I'd probably say like there's a there's a number on it probably like four or five days I'm like a little bit irritable. It's kinda like hangry but like the whole day.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I can cure that what you're describing, that, that feeling of almost longing for like getting hangry by being in the forest. Right. The forest. Ground. Is provides something almost as therapeutic as the ocean. Not quite, because the ocean has this... I like being in it because it scares yeah, no, the shit out of me. Yeah. I have asthma, and I'm deathly afraid of drowning. It's like, well, when I see a swell come in, I'm like, I gotta go feel that rush. <laughs> I gotta go get close to death. <laughs> I
1: think it's because guys like you and I like either looking at heading headfirst into something that is far bigger than us mm. or more intelligent well in this case Mother Earth mm-hmm. shit ton more wisdom mm-hmm. and that's intimidating and the unknown is like what attracts it to us so every time that we come out of it alive yes. makes us feel a little bit
3: more alive yes I like the proximity to death that I would agree makes feel really alive
2: yeah
0: so is it the adrenaline you're searching for with that
3: um. Oh, I think that it's that's a part of it. The other part of it is pushing past the fear, um, because that was the only time I ever considered suicide. Was when I was I was like fifteen. I think I was fifteen. Um, and it's because I was constantly afraid, and my fear, and it's all social anxieties. It's all social fears. My fear prevented me from doing all the things that I wanted to do. And um, I realized that the only way that I... Once I I considered suicide and I immediately felt ashamed because I was like, holy fucking shit. I have the most amazing parents in the world who dedicated everything to give me a good life so that I can be happy. And I would dare take my life from them I was like, you selfish, disgusting little bitch. I hated myself for thinking it because of my parents. That's why I'm one of the most fortunate people that I know. Because I had the upbringing that I did. I had parents who dedicated every morning, making breakfast for my brother and I, eating breakfast with us, talking to us, getting us ready for school, meeting with parents, teachers, helping us with our homework, dinner together as a family every single fucking night, putting us to bed, weekends. It was a trip with the family. We are going somewhere to do something focused, intentional parenting. We are going to make enough money to go to this school in this district because this is a priority for us. Like they could have been much closer to their work and had a shorter commute. They could have been much closer to places that they enjoy and gotten a better view. But their number one concern was the education for our children, because that's going to provide them with the foundation to lead a good life. That's the amazing parenting that I had. So to consider taking my life from them, I was I was aware enough to know that's disgusting. Don't you ever fucking think that again. So, okay, if I'm going to live, I can't keep living like this, constantly afraid. And what I decided was the only way that I could live was to face my fears. By facing my fears, it makes me feel good about myself. Because so many nights I would go to bed, I would cry myself to sleep because I was I felt like such a coward. I was so ashamed of my actions and my inactions on any given day, and I realized that the only way that I would go to bed and it, it, so much of of the life I built for myself comes down to when I'm alone and I'm by myself, or when I'm alone at night, looking at my ceiling. How do I feel about myself? And as I know exactly what I need to do to feel the way I want to feel. To feel the way I want to feel is I have to face my fears. So anything that intimidates me, that scares me, like public speaking, doing stand-up comedy, talking to girls, um, all of these sports that I enjoy doing, um, fighting for a while when I was younger. The ocean. Those, I'm attracted to the fear because if I could push past the fear, when I go to sleep that night, I will be happy with myself. So it's part adrenaline. It is part of needing, knowing what I need to do to love myself. That's the other part of it.
0: It's, it's, it's amazing to me that you're able to have that insight.
3: Yeah, that's at, very fortunate. At 15. Which I attribute that to good parenting because they built good coping mechanisms in me.
0: I was going to say they gave you the emotional intelligence and the tools in the toolbox to handle it early on. Mm -hmm. I do wonder if that's why maybe you, at least on the outwards, seem to handle your deployments better.
3: Uh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. I came into my deployments. I had already mapped out all of the things that could happen. Right. And I thought about what I'm going to see and experience and feel. I imagined my death by gunshot. To the, to the chest. So I imagined my death by sucking chest wound. But really what I th- thought would happen was um, bleeding out and blowing my legs off. Because that's what was happening to fucking so many people that I knew before I even joined the Marine Corps. And um, I imagined my death. And I thought, how do I want to die? And by seeing that, I saw people that I knew dying in my head. And I processed it before I ever went. So by the time I was there... It's like, well, I process all of the things that could happen, and I was the most irreverent motherfucker that I knew in combat. Like, I would constantly, <laughs> "Gonna die." <laughs> That's so to get horrible. All shit. Yeah. You'd
1: be like, "Dude, I'm taking your bunk and your pillow, and then I'll take some of your shit out of your seatbelt.
3: <laughs> I would. I would have these detailed stories of how my buddies would die on our next op
0: oh my god
3: and i would i would tell him that it was one guy in specific i had something for everybody but the one guy who was the cockiest guy who always challenged me the most i would paint him this vivid picture of how his helicopter was going to go down and about what he was going to feel i was like yeah you're going to think you're going to black out you're going to feel a sharp pain and you're gonna hear things you're not gonna be able to see for a while. Like I was it was psycho how fucking crazy I went. Why? And I would keep going just because I wanted to see the fear in his eyes. Oh
0: my gosh.
3: And I would keep going. He he would like try and tough it out. Like he'd try and wear it, he'd be like, uh-huh. 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 <laughs> and it would get uh-huh, worse. Uh-huh. And then finally I, I I'd get to a point and I'd see the fear in his eyes. I'm like, Got you, bitch! I knew you was a bitch. You're gonna die like a bitch.
2: You always been a bitch. <laughs> You, and you then I would move on. You're stealing the hearts and minds. They, didn't find, they, couldn't,
0: they could not help the hearts and minds. They had fucking none because you took them all.
3: Yeah. He ended up going Marsock. Okay. I love that you that's probably you because of you. <laughs>
1: yeah. like you broke him. Yeah. You broke him. He's like, well, Donnie's already made my bed. I guess I'll just fucking do it. Yeah.
2: I'll
3: just keep... <laughs> He's like, he already made me see my death. So I might as well just keep pushing.
0: It's over for me. Now. Yeah. It's over for me. I've seen... <laughs> I have seen what is coming for me. Yeah. Do you think in a way that helped those around you, though?
3: Um, helped them lose no, sleep. No, no. Yeah, but, <laughs> no, but... I you, was please. just smirking, bro.
2: Right. I'm like... Nope, yeah, not really. no, Didn't do any damage either. But. <laughs>
0: no, but here's why. Think about that, though. You gave levity in a situation. You... You, you, there is darkness in that, but there's darkness in everything you do.
3: Oh, yeah. I, I was constantly making jokes of all the things.
0: That's what I'm saying. I mean, like you were doing it before you even realized, I think, the impact that it would have. I think there was a, probably a bigger positive impact than maybe you caught on to. You were looking for fear. Sure, great. But I think what that showed in my eyes is another individual that was around me that was going through the same things as me that took enough time to think about me for two and a half seconds. I wasn't alone in this. Mm.
1: I think if there's from that, like chirping, right? From like talking shit about somebody dying because it it happened to me too. I think if there's any silver lining of it, it was, I became comfortable with my own death. Yes. I stopped being fearful and letting the fear prevent me from doing something that I needed to do Mm -hmm. in order to complete the mission or in order to support a friend and straight up dude like that was it like i was 100 percent convinced that i was gonna fucking die in ramadi 100 percent convinced was gonna let it go and, and to be honest if we want to look like the opposition when you don't have the fear of dying you are the most feared fucking person on the battlefield you're a monster
0: yeah. you're savage you're ruthless and
1: that's exactly what the fuck happened
0: And that's why the enemy was as effective as the enemy was.
1: And that is why, you know, regardless of what we were told from fucking top down, like, all right, fucking bitches, you want to fight a counterinsurgency? Like, let me get insurgent. Mm -hmm. Because I don't fear my death. And I know who I'm with. I don't have to ask permission. Mm -hmm. I've already, like, already had CID ask a few questions. But... At this point, like I need to match you. I need to match you in order to have in this revelant. right like like you need to know that like I am just as capable as you as fucking destroying you, mm-hmm. and that can only happen once you make peace with your own death mm. for sure, and so by bringing it up all the time in the fucking chow hole and talking shit and mm-hmm. x y and z. The, dude, that motherfucker is still processing that shit three hours later.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, he's deep in thought. He's breaking it down. He's going, wait.
1: And really he amazing. made peace yeah. with his death. Yeah. And good thing is, he didn't die. And now he's Marsock, and now he's fucking handing out dirt naps. So, like, win win. <laughs> good yeah. on you, win-win. bud.
2: <laughs> See? I helped you succeed, yeah. bro.
1: <laughs> Give me a little bit of
0: that. Yeah, you, can't, you can't even be mad now at this point. You really can't. That's, I guess that's what I'm kind of getting to is. The, the dark humor, has, it has weight, whether we realize it or not. And it's hard for those who don't understand that dark humor because it is so heinous and horrific and it makes people's faces melt off when you say it to them. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think it's necessary.
1: Good. So don't blindly support a 21-year war without having any knowledge of what war actually looks like. Right. And that's kind of the grand statement of, of my opinion now. Right, like it's fine. Like I don't expect you to go down there and do that. I don't I never expected you to raise your right hand and I never judged anyone for not doing what I did. I didn't have a fucking choice. I should have been the PGA tour right now. Nope. And I'm completely cool with that. And like I don't pass judgment because of civilians versus military. It's fine. But don't stand on a pedestal and create an opinion based off of ignorance and false information. I'm not asking you to fucking bow down to me And give me free onion rings at Applebee's I'm just asking you to like Take a pause Let's Think see. about what you're gonna say Before you fucking say anything And that's All that I ask I don't, I don't want you to understand What happened I don't want you To fucking know what it's like to flashbang a baby in a crib mm-hmm. I would just want you To know That I'm different than you I'm trying my fucking best, and give us a chance.
0: Right,
3: that's fucking it.
0: Well, I'm hopeful that's what your documentary is going to do.
3: Um, that was brilliant. Right. And what I, um, I said this after the first of Grunt's life, and now I, th- um, through through this second season and through this documentary, um, I, I think it'll it'll enable us to elevate the question. Why are they laughing, right? Like there's psychotic shit that, that we've made as a company that existed in AGL1 and AGL2's Two shits on the first season. Crazy, crazy stuff that a lot of people are going to watch who don't understand, and they're going to be horrified. And the same moment when they feel horrified, There's going to be a room full of combat veterans spitting their food out with laughter. Now, if you want to understand the mind of a combat veteran, well, one way to start is to not judge us, but to just ask, why are they laughing? Why would you laugh at that American getting shot in the face? Why? What the fuck is going on here? Because we lead one of the episodes with that. The lieutenant getting blasted. I was there. <laughs> oh, that's right! I was there. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, by, by approaching us, instead of standing up and sharing their opinions on things, just fucking ask. Like, seek to understand. Right. And in doing so, by understanding the, the American veteran, but especially the American combat veteran... That will give us a better shot at assimilating back into society. Right. That's what we need to have better mental health and less suicide. To Assimilate better. And
1: one of my key points, not only with working for Vet TV, but as well as doing this docuseries, I try to make it like a focal point in, in my life, like moving forward with everything that I do, I do not want to perpetuate this negativity, this dissension between civilians and military or veterans and those motherfuckers that don't know. I don't want to fuel their fire of mistrust and, and anger right? Because that's not going to do them any good. That's not going to help them get back in this world, which is, like I said earlier, hence why I didn't associate myself with veterans when I got out. I don't want to perpetuate it. I don't want to support it and tell them like, "Hey, that's right, man. Fuck them all too, right? No, I want them. Now that I think about it, I don't even know that I'm, fuck, this is tough. I'm making it for them, but I'm also making it for the civilians that don't have a fucking clue that have been polluted with misinformation with jaded clips coming from Afghanistan with all this heroic fucking bullshit speech coming from DC. I want to reinforce and strengthen the anger and conviction that us as veterans face but I also want to inform those who have previously been uninformed for the past 21 fucking years, mm-hmm. not by supporting dissension between military and civilians, but by re- like telling a friend, telling a military guy, any military guy that watches this, I want them to be like, fuck dude, finally. Mm-hmm. And then for the civilian, I want them to be like, Oh fuck dude. Yeah. Like, are you serious? yeah homie fucking serious and there's 20 million of us and so like now is the time that you might want to start listening Mm -hmm. we're not looking for fucking free Jordans and Rolexes yeah we're over it now we're just all I want you to do is just watch and listen that's it I'm not asking fuck all else but they will they will think about this moving forward with uh voting decisions with How they talk to somebody in the airport with uh, employing a veteran. That's my goal. I don't give up. I'm not going to change DC. We're not going to change DC. Roger. But I just want people to understand. And it's not alienating anybody. I'm not trying to like scare somebody. But at the end of the day in this fucking taboo ass vanilla snowflake world... Where you can't write fuck in an Instagram comment without it getting fucking removed. I know. Point. I
0: know a l- Straight um, up.
1: And yeah, she knows.
0: I'm, I'm about to lose everything. Oh,
1: no. So if that shit's fucking getting removed. Over,
0: over a charity weekend.
1: I'm not trying to put a fucking aqua seltzer in the water. Like yeah. I want you to swallow this fucking whole load and realize that like world ain't your fucking bubble.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful for it. I am. I'm optimistic. It's. Like I said it's heavy. It weighs a lot. It it's heavy? Yeah, it fucks hard in the right ways. It's intense. For some, it'll be too much. Some will say, well, it's it's too aggressive. It was you're shoving it down their throats. Some will say it's not enough. Give them more. Push harder. That's just the, That's just you're just skimming the surface. You're just showing the safe shit. And then there's gonna be in the in between. There's gonna be people like me. Who sit with that for a minute and it just takes you back to a place and it punches you in the face a little bit and it makes you face the reality again a little bit because it's not like I'm not the person I don't sit there and I don't watch the shit I have I don't watch the stuff that we swapped with friends I just know that it's there when I want it If I want to see it it's there it doesn't have to be looked at all the time but it's there
1: or if you didn't have two years to try to explain it to somebody that you truly care about, you can just send them a link right. for 18 minutes of information.
0: Oh yeah, 100. It, it's I went through this with Brady. I mean, I spent spent since 2009 trying to find the words and articulate what it feels like. He's been in every so many treatment sessions, and I've been there. And I, I fuck, he makes he makes some horrific jokes when I tell some stories because now he's he's starting to understand the mentality in which you're in in that state and, and what that does to a person and, and what that looks like later on. And so I think I think it's just going to do it at a rapid pace. I think you're going to get a fire hose in the face and you're going to have to sit them down and say, watch this. And I'm glad it's short the way, the clip's the way it is. I think there's a lot of value in that because there is an attention span issue. And there is a, you can only, civilians will only take so much of that before they go, this is too gnarly. This is way too gnarly. This is too heavy. This is too much. So it's a fine balance. So I think you've done that with intense content in a short, digestible amount of time. And I think, that, I think that has the potential to start a conversation, open doors, and hopefully save some lives. And that's where I see this being useful. I see this as an understanding, a moment. I've done shows, and that's been a piece of feedback when I go on others, when I talk about like the stuff that happened with Brady and and the military and like having those conversations, having those really, really uncomfortable conversations when your husband's like, hey, so like the way you just reacted, that was fucking bananas. That was unacceptable and completely wrong in so many ways. You go, well, let me tell you why that was fucking bananas. So this one time at band camp, and then we go from there. And instead of me having to take every waking minute and explain every opportunity if, if only I was able to sit him down in front of something and that was so pieced together I didn't have to explain well this is why I felt this way and this is how it affected me and oh here's the video and this is why this video made me feel this way so when I was talking about this this is the video I was talking about It's just all right there and so anyway I'm I'm thrilled for it um I'm nervous for it because I think any You should not be.
3: I think if we're not you should be.
0: Well I think that anything that's that intense is gonna rock a boat and
3: what's what's what is there to be afraid of? No people talk shit? No nah, People have been talking shit nah. about me and my company for fucking years.
0: No, no, that's Doesn't not It Doesn't affect me at all. I'm I'm a little nervous because I think maybe some people who aren't ready to watch it are gonna watch it.
1: Good. Yeah.
0: No, it's not the civilians I'm talking about. I, I,
1: they have an option, and right, exactly. there will be a preface.
0: Exactly, and I and I think because it's you, they're gonna want to watch it. The people that love you're gonna want to watch it. They're gonna want to know about it. But there's gonna be the subset who might not be. It's gonna it's gonna trigger some shit. So I'm I'm curious to see the reaction. It's gonna trigger some people. It's gonna hit them in ways that maybe they haven't been hit in a minute.
3: I have heard that from a couple different pieces of content that we made. Some yeah. some stuff that's like hella fucked right. up comedy. Yeah. Um and in each instance, um, one guy is actually Tim Jensen, um, uh, one of the owners of Grunt Style. Um, when he watched AGL, he said it fucked him up in the head. The first one, which is it's just not a tenth as good as the second. It's fucked him in the head for. A, he said a couple of days he had to go into a hole. Um, and but coming out of that hole. He was better for it. It forced him to process things and acknowledge things. And anyone who, who has that reaction that you're talking about, people who are going to be triggered, right? It's, it, I mean, pain is, is the beginning of something beautiful. So anyone who has those feelings, they might be in a bad mood for a couple of days. And the only thing I hope is that they don't fucking go to the bottle to deal with their pain. Because then that's when bad things really happen. Right. They um, hate for someone to get triggered and then get drunk and get behind the wheel. We don't need that. But um, if they can deal with their pain in a just an okay way, then there is something good that will come from it on the other side. So that's why I don't fear the people who will be triggered. I know that especially coming into it, we have such good intentions for our community. Right. We want to encourage healing and conversation um and um and we want to encourage pe- veterans to come together to talk about all of these things mm-hmm. so because we're coming into it with such a positive intention for our people um i only see good things in the long term that will come out of it eh, a couple you know annoyed people in, in the short term both civilian and, and on the other side but that will give us the opportunity to talk to them to engage them and say hey listen we're sorry that you were triggered. We're sorry that you're feeling this way. But this is how we think this can be turned into something good. And uh, because of that, I think in the long term, it'll all be good. I
0: like that. I like that answer. That's that's what I was hoping. That's what I was kind of fishing for. That's what I wanted. I wanted people to know that it's okay to feel triggered by this. It's acceptable. It's, it doesn't make you feel, it doesn't make you weak or like, oh, fuck, I thought I moved on from that. It's acceptable to feel those feelings and to feel those feelings and let yourself feel those feelings. Mm. Because maybe just for a second, it'll make you stop and think and question things just a little bit. So I'm glad that you caught on to that.
1: To Donnie's point, dealing with that when you're 18, 19, 20, you compartmentalize Mm -hmm. and you don't really deal with it again. So then if and when this triggers you, you're in a much more mature and understanding educated state in order to handle those emotions vastly different than you previously would have 20 years ago that's the good part about it right like mm-hmm. i understand that like you're upset and actually i'm fucking upset too hence why we made this right. but now you're in a much better position to handle those emotions and to process them and maybe feel convicted to do something and in, in order to uh, re-network our community mm-hmm. and our society and our country in in a way that we all want to see it go because as it stands right now it's fucking on fire and if, if there's any way that we can help then fucking let's do it good well said
0: so tell me so tell me what's next where do people find what when this all when all of these come out how often what are we looking like how long is the docuseries how many episodes
1: so the docu series is going to come out mid December. Okay. I will not give a very specific date, uh, but we are looking at anywhere between five to seven episodes. Uh, we don't specifically want to narrow ourselves down to anything because we just want to tell the story and we want to make sure that it's the best that it can possibly be. Uh, so yeah, docu series launching mid December on Vet TV on the app, and then. To supplement the docu-series, we have A Grunt's Life Season 2 uh, coming out early January. And, uh, yeah, there's there's all kinds of different things coming about. And I'm super excited to see what happens.
0: Donnie?
3: Um, I am incredibly excited for people to connect with these pieces of art that we're creating. That is the joy of an artist... To create something that somebody connects with And now you as the artist are now connected to that person This work will enable I mean selfishly uh, Me to feel connected to fucking millions of people But most specifically the ones I'm most concerned about Are the hundreds of thousands of combat veterans Who are going to feel seen, heard, and understood And grateful That this was made for them It's a really cool feeling um to be a, a a to be the viewer to customer on the receiving end of something that you feel like was made for you, and I love so much when when our veterans say thank you for making this for me and i'm excited to see that um, in all of them from both the uh, the show and the docu series. I think the combination of the two. It's gonna be such a fucking uh, the th- 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 Thor's hammer um, to our community. For one, because the comedy is so fucking out there. It's it is the kind of comedy that you cannot find anywhere else. And to some people, like myself, I need that. Like it just makes me feel so good to watch something that is so fucked up presented in a way that i can't help but laugh that to me it just it brings me true joy i have felt that therapy the therapy of dark humor that is focused and targeted and i'm so excited to give that to our community because i know it's going to make so many people happy and then to have this docu series on the back end of it talking about all of the serious hard truths that the comedy is born out of for them to see and for us to have a message no more counterinsurgency. Like, our nation needs to fight wars when necessary, but we don't need to fucking do this counterinsurgency shit anymore. It just doesn't work. For them to... For anyone who was ever in the middle of these wars... We call them wars, but, like, they were counterinsurgencies. Like I don't, it, It's weird um, that we, we call it war when... I think the original definition of war from back in the day was your fucking, your team is going up against that team and the only way to win is to kill all of them. That's fucking war. Red Rover. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, we are going to fucking mace everyone's skull over there, over that, on that hill over there. (laughs) Okay? Like, that's war. This coin shit It just only serves to fuck everyone up in the head who has to go through it. It just fucks us up in the head. And for for everyone who's experienced it, they felt that. And for us to say that through all this work that we're creating, to say coin is a mind fuck like no other. And you should never make us do it again. Because not only does it fuck our minds up, but we fail. It's a failed endeavor. Stop. There are plenty of other ways to fucking utilize the military. That's not it. For them to hear that message, I think they'll be so fucking grateful cuz we all want something positive to come out of out of this last 20 years of war. And that's one of the things that could potentially come out of it is this understanding that we shouldn't fucking do this again.
0: Well, I think you made it pretty clear and I'm happy. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. Tell everyone where to find everything.
3: I guess start with VeteranTV.com.
1: VeteranTV.com, that's it.
0: Nick, yours?
1: I'm not plugging myself.
0: And underscore bats.
3: Sure.
1: I (laughs) already did. You
0: need to. You know that.
1: I did it in the other one. But VeteranTV.com, mid-December for the docuseries, and then early January for A Grunt's Life Season 2. Um. It's not expensive. Don't be cheap. Good after it.
0: Nah, it's worth it. I'm sure it'll make its way out there otherwise, too. Don't worry. It'll be out. All right. Well, I guess that's it, folks. And I uh, will see you all next week.
3: Thank you so much Peace. for having us.
0: No worries. Thanks, guys.